Hey guys, you're listening to Fanatsu. This is Manny. Uh, the episode you're about to hear today was um, a joint podcast I did with uh, Julius on his show Expose last week. Um, if you guys haven't checked it out, he uh, his his main platform is uh, Facebook. So if you just type in Expose Guam, um, it should be like the first thing that pops up. Uh, but yeah, um, you know. It's good to have uh, different perspectives out there. I know um, a lot of the times on Fanatsu, you know, we're talking amongst ourselves. And um, even you, the listeners, you're probably already woke as fuck um, if you're listening to Fanatsu. And uh, you probably share similar sentiments uh, on a lot of the issues that we talk about. Uh, But with Julius... um, yeah, our, our ideologies are uh, diametrically opposed, um, which is interesting. You know, we talk about that a little bit, but you're you'll hear the the differences um, almost right away. Yeah. So, but he he's very gracious to invite us onto his show, um, and uh, I, I like I said uh, earlier this week, uh, I got to give him props for even showing up to the general assembly that we had in uh, November. So I think that shows um, a genuine interest in decolonization and an interest in uh, learning, you know, uh, reaching beyond, uh, you know, I want to characterize his perspective as a really very um, right wing, you know, but I think uh, he has um, uh, an interest in moving beyond that and discovering more, especially as he, you know, pursues a legislative office so i guess that's the best we can hope for um i didn't push it too hard on this one there well first of all it was a very uh very broad conversation um there are a lot of things that he said that you know i wanted to sort of challenge but it was already like 12 at night or in the morning um you know, we had been delayed because of technical difficulties, which happens, as you know. Uh, I've still, I haven't quite got around to um, setting up our own live stream, but I'll get there. Uh, it's just, it's very, uh, very tedious, very technical. There's a lot of different things that, you know, go into that. A little more than I was uh, prepared, you know, but that's okay. But yeah, so, you know, it was already... It was it was reaching into like one a.m. and we were still going on uh, talking, um, and you know I don't know. You you might pick it up, but yeah I hope I hope um, this is just the beginning of many conversations with him. Um, maybe if we zero in on a, on one or two key issues, uh, we can really dive in and dissect. Uh, where my his position on things and uh and mine as well and uh yeah anyway enjoy the show um quick business uh our patreon account is still active if you haven't already you can be a patron and contribute um whatever you are financially capable of uh contributing uh whether that be five dollars uh, a creation or if you're like super ballin', 
like a hundred dollars a creation that's insane that is insane especially since um we are definitely um uh boosting our our production you know but yeah five bucks a production or uh, a creation is uh is uh you know pretty it's a pretty good price i mean i there's a lot that we really want to do um with fanatsu uh, especially because no one out there on guam in the Marianas, even Micronesia even is really pushing the envelope as far as progressive uh, theory, uh, decolonization, and um, bringing all of these things together and uh, creating a discussion that's uh, available to the masses for free, basically. So, I mean, there's a lot we can do with your support. Sizos uh, Masi, as always, if you are not able to contribute uh, financially, Man, you know what? I'm really grateful. Like I said uh, before, um, I'm really grateful just uh, for you tuning in. Um, if you can, though, if you're listening on uh, iTunes, um, uh, give us a rating. You know, uh, uh, give us a rating. Uh, it really helps out with uh, getting um, the the podcast out there um, and allowing us to connect with other other native podcasts, whether that be. Um, you know, people in uh, the continental U.S. Um, or elsewhere in Oceania, you know. So that does a lot itself. And, um, you know, when our when our episodes come out on, on Facebook, um, like, share, all of those things, man. Uh, we appreciate all of those. So anyway, recording from my phone. Got some editing to do. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, as a, you know, as a teaser, I'm not sure if that would be the correct term, but just to let you guys know, tomorrow I'll be talking with uh, Josh D. Um, he is uh, our next guest on Fanatsu, uh, and we'll be talking about um, decolonizing your diet um, and how that affects other aspects of life and the body, you know, uh, very cool. So, yeah. See you Masi. Enjoy the show. Warning! Warning! This is an emergency. An emergency. We need urgency. Warning! This is an emergency. An emergency. We need urgency. Warning! This is an emergency. An emergency. We need urgency. Warning! A fire we interesting it's not mm. showing on expose bear with us folks 15 more seconds at most there we are okay good so we're going live and I'm gonna go ahead and accept that and we're gonna move on geez uh, actually my guest tonight I want to get to know him first before we uh, get into the nitty-gritty of things and we get into the meat and potatoes and I start asking questions we're gonna be talking about the independent Guahan movement uh, and other social issues of our times um, got a really bright mind and we're clearly coming from two different spectrums as far as the foundation of our core values, but I think at the end of the day, we, we both kind of want the same things for our island, and I can respect that. Uh, this is Manny Cruz, 
and he is the co-chair of the uh, media subcommittee. Sub media yeah. subcommittee for Independent Guahan, and he's also the co-chair for Fanatsu Podcast. You can find them on Facebook. Go ahead and get yeah. the information. And that's also uh, this is actually uh, streaming to Fanatsu as well, to sort of like a co-production. Yeah, we got a simulcast so, going on. So yeah, um, uh, Fanatsu has been on the air for a little over a year now. Awesome. Um, and uh, we're, we're on all, all the podcast platforms, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher, if you're using Android, SoundCloud, so. Yeah, and I'm actually gonna have to talk to him about that after this, because I'd like to be able to have the kind of reach uh, that they have with their podcast. And I understand the value of that, despite the fact that there's no video feed, that audio yeah. is still really important. And it, it strikes me that people actually still listen to audio platforms. And it's it, weird, huh? No, but it makes me yeah. feel good, because I, you know, I, I, I got my chops in, in radio. That's know? right, yeah. And so, it makes me feel good again, and, and maybe I'll go back to radio doing this particular thing. And it would be neat mm -hmm. if I did get a radio show to have like somebody like you as a co-host oh, so that we're looking at issues from different perspectives. Because, yeah. you know, when everybody's agreeing to the topic, it can get kind of boring, right? Mm. You know, in, in academia, they call that mental masturbation. <laughs> I know, we can we cuss on the show, right? That, uh... Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's okay, unfiltered. Right. It's uncensored. You know, we're, we're trying to be as, as transparent and as, as candid as possible. Mm. And, and I totally appreciate that. Um, in getting to know each other, I don't know, right off the bat, um, uh, man, see, like, and that's the problem, and, and you're, you were right about not getting in too deep in the conversation, because right. then we kind of like flesh everything out, and now we don't have the questions in our mind of, of what we wanted to ask. We sort of like, we get a sense of each other's uh, politics. Really, yeah, just yeah. We, did, we spent a long time doing yeah. that, actually, so that was neat. It was neat, like, kind of like rooting each other out, and he's actually open to, to talking about that, so we'll, we'll delve into... The, the, the mind of Manny when it comes to uh, his political view on, on Guam and the world, right? Geopolitics, because mm. that can kind of be a different thing. Yeah. But uh, a little bit of his history, I first uh, found out about Manny through uh, when he was working at PDN as a journalist there. I was actually working at the governor's office at the time. Uh, I knew who you were, uh, and then I, I, I don't know if you were on the radio during that time, or was that mm -hmm. kind of like a later gig? I was like after, okay, after yeah. PDN. But uh, yeah, so he was at PDN, and actually, Phil Blas was the guy who introduced us, who like officially introduced us. I was staffing the governor, and I, man, I feel so bad because I cannot remember the name of the memorial site for uh, one of the massacres. It was down yeah. south. Do you remember? It, it's in Malesu. I forgot which one that is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, that's Mangler Media, by the way. Uh, I got to give them props. Mangler Media, thank you so much for providing all the equipment uh, so that we can produce this, this quality of, of a show. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the streaming power to, 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 to stream at a higher bit rate, so we're trying to do the best that we can. And also, a big shout out to Coffee Slut uh, for hooking us up with coffee and with the THC. That's Tea Honey Calamansi. That's what Manny and I are enjoying right now. And we might even get into a conversation about THC <laughs> a little bit later on. He was, he was alluding to that. Mm -hmm. um, but so we met there, we were formally introduced by Phil Blas, so a big shout out to Phil Blas uh, if you're watching out there. And um, so from then, I kept not necessarily following you, but obviously you were on my radar, so to speak, because if I'm working communications, I got to know who the journalists are. Right. And then I heard you on Hit Radio, and I thought that was actually a really good move for Hit Radio to have a journalist reporting news on their station. Oh, man, I'm so glad you think so. No, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and actually, when I would listen to you, I'm like, they are not using him to his full potential. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that was your choice to kind of like hold back on things, or if they kind of told you, you know, we'll have you talk about this. But I think that's one thing that Hit Radio is, is missing because uh, the other two radio stations, KUAM and, um, uh, excuse me, the like I-94 and their Isla channel and then K-57 and Power 98 and, and The Rock, they have their news organizations, like right. PNC and then KUAM News. 
and so and then what the other guys do, um, um, uh, which you have, you have uh, not the point. Um, damn it, 101, fun, right? Fun 101 mm. and, and 104.3, they kind of uh, take feed, news feed from KUAM. So that leaves Hit Radio and Ronnie will read headlines and he's kind of doing them in his traditional ways. And he just kind of like boom, 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 he cites them out. But when you were on there, I appreciate that because you got a little bit more context to the story. Headlines right. can only do so much justice to the actual story. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's like throw like, hey, go read the newspaper because we're selling that. But uh, I think that was a great element and uh, I was disappointed when you were no longer on there. Yeah. Uh, we don't necessarily need to get into like the what and the why. But <laughs> how did you feel about your foray into journalism? Um, it, it actually, it wasn't a field that I had in mind. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in the communication program who go in uh, knowing that they either want to be a public relations uh, specialist or mm -hmm. a, a journalist. Right. They have some, uh, um, some idea of what a journalist is supposed to be, right? Um, right? I didn't really have that. It just, I sort of fell into it, you know? Um, I would say, uh, objectively, that I'm a pretty good writer. Mm -hmm. And so, I like the stuff, some of the stuff that you've written that yeah. I've caught. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like um, a communication degree, writing skills, uh, journalism just kind of fell into my lap. I mean, it made sense, right? You had the the required skills for that particular yeah. field. Uh, there was one article that you did that I liked, and it was talking about uh, ex-cons not being able to find a job. Yes. And you were interviewing them at a job fair, mm -hmm. and that actually struck a chord with me because it's important that these individuals get a job when they get out of. Um, you know, when, 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 when they have served their time and they've been released. Uh, from, from a business owner's perspective, not that I own a business, but I can understand their apprehension. Not every business owner shuts the door immediately. There are a lot of people who are open to it. But the biggest advantage to the community for somebody who's released, especially recently released from prison, is for them to get a job and for them to be self-sufficient and not fall back into their bad habits. And we help to reduce the recidivism rate when, when we do that, when Absolutely. we empower these individuals. And again, I understand if, if a business owner is apprehensive to, to hire somebody who comes, who's coming out of prison, right? And you kind of have to sympathize for, for the recently released inmate because you understand that they served their time for the, for, for the crime that, that they committed, you know? Um, and you can't just judge them on the, on, the, on the sin that happened however many years or however many months ago. So and, and that's a tough cookie mm. to... Yeah. to soften up, so to speak. Definitely. I think, I think what it comes down to is uh, having guidelines, guidelines that, that we can agree with. Because, I mean, we all pretty much agree, you know, whatever side of the political spectrum you, you are, uh -huh. uh, I like to think that, you know, we can agree that these people, if they're not happy, if they're not working, if they're not, um, you know, producing for the economy, you know, then they might end up back in a jail cell uh, robbing someone else's well, home. The, you know? I mean, the statistics show that there's a great chance of them yeah. falling back into the same habits and routines. And it's not to speak to the person's character, but it's like, almost like classical conditioning, right? This is, these are the, the set of skills that I have. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to employ me in, in, in another kind of capacity, so I'm gonna fall back into That's what right, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Survivalism. And, but it's not, yeah, and it's not to excuse them committing crimes because there is no excuse for that. However, you just said the word, it's like survivalism and we can't legislate people's minds and what they're feeling and how they're thinking and how they process everything, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to create as many opportunities as we can so that we cross our fingers and hope that they make the right decisions. Yeah. But 
you know, biases fall into play. And again, you can't legislate biases and, and mm. what people are thinking in their heads. So I see a criminal and it's like, oh, well, thank you for being transparent and telling me that you were in jail instead of lying on your application yeah. and me finding out later. However, you know, it says here, God, use this as an example that would make it difficult for an employer, rape, right? Because that's a pretty violent crime. Right. And it's like, man, you served your time, I see that. But as an employer, I'm thinking in my head, like, how are the rest of the employees going to feel? Are they going to feel comfortable or whatever? And so, I don't know, maybe like I was just thinking one possible solution came into my mind. It's like maybe we can, if there's some kind of a program and it doesn't necessarily have to be the government, I think it should be like some kind of nonprofit, maybe one that already exists, mm -hmm. to take these, work with these recently released um, uh, convicts or inmates and say, hey, this is the crime that you committed you probably aren't going to be successful if you look for jobs in these in this particular market like retail or whatever right anything closely working with people because of this the, the nature of the crime that you committed maybe you want to go and apply at a warehouse or you know at a lumber or maybe get into construction like you may not like it and that's kind of like one of the harsh realities that we have to accept in life we're not always going to get what we want mm -hmm. you know but if we really want to achieve a particular goal there are certain pills that we have to swallow and i hate to use that analogy right but there are certain jobs we, wait, we may have to take to help us get to our ultimate goal, but we may not like those jobs. Mm. So, I mean, but you understand what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, again, you committed this heinous, violent act. You served your time. The community says that now, you know, you've, you've paid your penance. Okay, now you can come back into, into society and join mm. us. But yeah, let's be realistic about some of the ambitions that you may have to mm -hmm. increase the chance of you actually getting a job. I feel yeah. like we're, we're on this subject a little too long, but again, <laughs> when you wrote that, I was like, wow, I've never seen an article like that on Guam. Mm, yeah. Never seen an article, never saw a news story on it at all. The only place I've seen it are, you know, working in the government, looking at statistics and working with places like DOC and GPD to see how we can reduce recidivism. Yeah. And I think talking about in the community through articles like the ones that you wrote mm -hmm. is how we begin and how we get input from the community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, definitely, um, I, I don't know if you've if you picked it up in my writing, but um, I definitely used uh, my position as a journalist with the, the Guam Daily Post yeah. to begin exploring in mainstream media um, socialist ideologies or um, you know things like that. So you know when I was talking about uh, jobs for um, you know uh, released felons, right. people who've been convicted of any crimes, right. um, that was really an opportunity to um, to strive for. Uh, equity through legislation you right. know exploring those ideas because i mean the mainstream uh, the mainstream um idea is uh you know punch people like that that's the whole poli american policing system is uh you did bad you should be punished or you know mm. and they, they take a really hard-nosed stance on those things and right. especially drugs you know yeah so yeah and, and actually we we had an episode where we talked about non-violent offenders like like drug addicts right and um Ron McNinch recently uh, did a survey on what the community was most worried about and it was like crime and, and drug use was at the top of the list mm. and he was citing that statistic show and I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not citing him incorrectly but I, I, I clearly remember this and again I might, I might be wrong and I'll go back and check it but uh, statistics show that the, 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 how do I phrase this right, the crime that is most represented in relation to drugs does that make sense? Okay. It's theft, right? It's theft. Yeah. So he's a drug addict and he steals something because I need to turn it into revenue to get my drugs, right? Or I can trade it to get my drugs. 
and, and so we were discussing that and like what are potential solutions and, and there were pretty libertarian perspectives on that and, and one of them was to decrease the value of the drug. So you kind of take away the power from the drug dealer, mm -hmm. right? Because that's, what's, that's what incentivizes people to deal drugs is the sheer volume of cash flow that you can get. Like I would love to get statistics on how much money is in the black market, particularly with cannabis and methamphetamines, right? Because right? those are the number two, or number one and number two, and they interchange as far as their, which level they're at, uh, the problematic drugs on Guam. And then the irony is we have this you know, medicinal cannabis law that has yet to be implemented. Yeah. So with what you're saying, um, when you look at it, and I don't even think it's a socialist perspective when we mm -hmm. talk about trying to, or we're, we're rounding back now to creating opportunities for, right. for uh, recently released inmates. I don't think that's so much socialist as just, um, I don't even want to say progressive, it's just kind of looking at things in a different, analyzing it, analyzing problem in a different mm -hmm. way, and instead of just immediately saying, you did bad, you know, we're going to punish you, like you yeah. said, it's like, well, okay. You could also be a, like a hyper-capitalist and still have that ideology. Yeah. Because you could be like, well, these people are not going to be making money. I can be making money off of them if yeah. I employ them. Put them to and work. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's what's neat. It's like mm -hmm. either end of the spectrum, we're kind of looking for the same solution. How can we turn this so-called problem into something that is not so detrimental to society and, and we can somehow get some benefit from it for the community and also for the individual themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So that they can actually have a mechanism with which to change their life for the better. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But no, I, and, and I'm glad that you were using that to a certain degree because I still think that, that journalists should be objective, um, but they also need to have an opinion in that sense, right? And, and it's, good to, it's, it's good if they're kind of clear about that in their writing. Mm -hmm. like, this is my objective perspective, and here's my opinion on that. I, you know, I'm okay with that, yeah. just so long as it's, it's kind of laid out in those terms mm -hmm. versus this is a slant we're taking and this is how it should be. You know, th what really bums me out really is that, um, like you said, journalists should be able to have opinions. Yeah. But what you'll find in, in uh, small media markets like Guam is that uh, publishers want you to take a specific stance, right. which just so be, happens to be the stance that everyone else on island is taking because, you know, they, need, they survive off of advertisements, right? And mm -hmm. in order to do that, you feed off of the most uh, readers, watch viewers, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's interesting because my experience in media was kind of like that. I'm sorry, guys. Again, I, I keep everything on my on my phone. I try to go as green as possible. The paper I have here is strictly for note taking during the conversation. Um, oh goodness, where is it? Um, oh, okay, I know where it is. I need to add that. I didn't add the e uh, the email box to my thing. That's okay. I'll find it later. Um, when I was in radio, when we started out with the Malafunction Boys, our perspective was very unpopular with the industry side of things. Yeah. Like clearly, the the public loved our voice, you know. And there were some dissenters, but um, in media, there's no such thing as bad coverage, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's negative, people are like, "Oh, what are they talking about? Yeah. Why is everybody so pissed?" And so, with that regard, we kind of were able to usher in our own take on things, but that's radio. Yeah. So it's not really taken seriously as news. And in news, there's always that agenda that's being driven. Mm -hmm. And I get that. However, when the story is laid out without an objective perspective, there's a way to do it to promote your opinion, but still lay everything out in a kind of fair and unbiased way. Yeah. But you know, like you said, it's, 
and I, and I read the papers and, and more and more there's one particular paper and I'm like this thing is turning into a tabloid mm -hmm. you know and then the other one is like you're still hanging in there don't lose it right yeah, yeah. but I want both of them to be really really competitive when it comes to content and information mm -hmm. and so with that said excuse me I try to read as much media as possible I don't take any single one as gold or the word right but, you know I filter out the information that I think is closest to the truth and I formulate my own ideas and perspective based on that. That's good. You know, you can't, if you can't just subscribe to one news organization, like even in the political world, like, oh, they were talking about this on the radio. It's like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I worked in the radio industry. The people that actually call up and voice is like less than 1% of the, of the listening population. So mm -hmm. are they really speaking for the entire demographic? Are we, are we over reacting to what's being said on the radio and yeah. what's, you know, what's being printed in the newspaper? You know, can we not have faith in people to be logical and reasonable? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, um, I know you, you take, uh, you seem like a very, uh, a very detail oriented dude. And you kind of have to be, right? Yeah. And you did mention that you, you took, uh, you take notes before the show, yeah. which is, is awesome. I, I should do that more. Um, but <laughs> well, that's because I forget yeah. stuff, man. So. <laughs> no, like, um, I keep a mental note and uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, sure. uh, was uh, malfunction? Yeah, you know, um, I I had that going in here, but um, it's interesting that uh, one of the uh, there was one instance that really shaped my ideology and this formation of a, of um, uh, an appreciation for indigenous rights mm -hmm. and uh, Chamorro politics and all that, and that's the malfunction show for wow, sure. Interesting. Um, so yeah, a lot of people know me as as an activist with uh, Independent Guahan or any other groups out there that uh, you know, have an environmental protection stance or an indigenous rights protection stance. But um, because of that, they have this per perception that uh, I'm somehow um, anti-American, whatever that mm -hmm. means. You know? But the funny thing is, uh, I actually, I left here, I left Guam when I was 10 years old uh, because my mom and dad are uh, federal contractors. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so um, for a good eight years minimum, I've been, uh, in a military environment, mm. you know, going to um, California, Okinawa, Germany, you know, and, uh, you know, living uh, among dependents and active duty personnel, you know. And uh, so I think it was the summer of uh, 2002. Okay, yeah, that's kind yeah. of where we were really like, wow. I was in the shower. Well. I was in the shower at my Nina's house and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had the radio plugged in um, and I was listening to, was it here Radio 100 at the yeah. time? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I remember something that, uh, you guys, you guys were going on, um, you know, typical banter right. and then Chris said something that really blew my mind and, mm -hmm. uh, it must've been around the time of liberation right. and, uh, he was talking about the Spanish American war mm -hmm. and he was talking about how Spain, uh, sold, uh, Guam to the, the U S yeah. and, and the, this thing blew my mind, man. He said, how do you sell something that's not yours? Right. And he said that, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that show had a really big impact. That particular episode. Uh, that episode and yeah. a lot of the other things you guys are doing. You know, that, and that year we were also talking about like Discovery Day and, and I was kind of like t telling Chris like, you know, why, why, do we, why do we honor Discovery? Like, why are we honoring somebody who discovered it? How right. could you discover us? We knew we were here. So I was like, like, oh shit, thanks. We had no idea what was happening here, but you're, we are here. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I, I was resentful for that. And, you know, in, in retrospect, yeah, you know, we, we shouldn't necessarily honor somebody who came here and like the first thought was, oh, you know, how can we exploit these people? Um, and so, and it's interesting because now we've seen it's kind of, it's, it's no longer called Discovery Day, now it's called Heritage Day. Yeah. 
and they kind of changed things up. I'm not saying that we shaped that or we, we altered that. I'm pretty sure the sentiment was already there. I think we just kind of voiced the concern. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty neat. Yeah, Malafunction, we were, we were definitely pro-Guam. You know, we, yeah. we were pro-Guam. I was still in my early 20s, literally. I think I was 21 when we started. So I was, I, I thought of myself as, as an activist. Yeah. You know, I thought of myself as pro-Chamorro, Chamorro first, you know, Guam first. Um, but one of the biggest reasons, and I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay malfunction. That's such a huge, one of the most fun times in my life, by the way, like, and the irony was Andy was like a part of the nucleus of the team. And he's, mm -hmm. you know, Andy is the white guy, you know, <laughs> Chris and Julius and whatever, right? One thing that we did not have, and I never even thought of it, as big as, as critics we were, and I, I'd like to think we weren't cynical, you know, mm. uh, we definitely use comedy to, to bring levity to the conversation, but also to, like there's a revolution in every joke, right? I forget who said that about comedy. But we never had solutions to offer. I see. And so that's part of, that's like part of the reason why I wanted to work in government, because we criticize government Mm -hmm. to like no end but without getting the perspective of what it's like to be in government and deal with the bureaucracy and yeah. and you know it's like the government doesn't move as a single entity there are so many working parts that can actually work against each other mm -hmm. you know, and a prime example is the legislature and the administration right yeah. the executive branch and the legislative branch and so that's just like one basic aspect now now we're talking like interagency bureaucracy and all that kind of stuff and so it was very easy for us to, to criticize. And there were a lot of points that we hit that I felt where we were kind of like spot on. But then there are other issues that were just way more complicated and convoluted. And we just, or at least I didn't have the knowledge to really speak on it. And, mm. and not even wanting to, to present a potential solution, I can understand must have been irritating to a lot of people that we were harping on, yeah. you know? Because that's how I feel now after working, you know, for an administration, I'm like, yeah, you can say this and you can say that to criticize, but what are your potential solutions? Because I'm generally listening and my ears are open. Like, you know, we don't know everything. Yeah. So tell us, like, give me an idea and I'll tell you if that can work or if it's probably not going to work. Mm. And so that kind of galvanized, you know, your, your pro-chamoral spirit, your pro-chamoral mm -hmm. heart, right? Yeah. And so what led you, how did you become... I'd say an integral part because media is a huge aspect of any organization. Right? Yeah. How did you get to that? Becoming a, a critic of media, or no, no, get uh, as far. I'm becoming sorry. Becoming oh, in, in, with independent Guam. Ingrained. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, like I mentioned, um, I was part of uh, this uh, federal system, right? Yeah. Um, when uh, my family moved to Germany after I graduated uh, high school in Okinawa, and um, you know. That was when I was uh, 18. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I had been feeling this longing uh, to know who I was because I had left Guam at such an early age. Um, so I had, I had had that since I was about 11 years old. And, um, you know, we moved to California, but it wasn't like, you know, there's a lot of Chamorros in San Diego, right? I was in a wine country in a, oh, a, a little, Valley. yeah, 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 or a little town called uh, Lompoc. Yeah, in Santa Long Barbara Polk. County. Yeah, no so, jokes. No jokes about Long Polk. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, yeah, it, I didn't drive too well. Um, there weren't a lot of Chamorros out there. There was right. no one that I could share life experiences or at least a past with. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wasn't adjusting well. 
And there was one a very interesting moment, um, and this too uh, is lodged uh, in my memory. And I think this is one of the um, the formations for who I am today. And that's um, my my history teacher who could tell that I wasn't adjusting to this new life. Uh, he he did some uh, some shady shit, man. He, interesting. He played with my emotions right here, um, and I don't mean in that a uh, um, Catholic priest kind of way. But um, I'm not alluding to, to church politics at this early uh, point in this conversation. But uh, here's what I mean. Uh, one day, uh, he was like, hey, Maddie, um, you know, we're, we're getting a new student, and uh, he's from Guam. Why don't you come up to the board, and, uh, you know, I pull, I'll pull down the map, and you can show us where Guam is. You can tell us about your culture. So he did that. That was a very nice gesture. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember standing up at the board and I, it took me a while. I could finally find Guam on the map mm -hmm. because, you know, on a, on a Eurocentric uh, map, you know, uh, Europe and uh, North America, you know, I say so they, they take precedence over, you know, the, the geography, right? So I finally found the island, you know, after a couple minutes and I was like, Guam is, uh, Guam is here. Um, I am a Chamorro and uh, I couldn't really tell you know, if they asked me what that meant, I wouldn't be able to tell them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I said, uh, we say hi by saying half a day, half a day. You know, but I, you know, I could tell that I was missing something. Like, I wasn't, enca I wasn't encapsulating my full appreciation for the island or our people. And so, yeah, there was always this longing since then. You said you left when you were 10, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you have childhood memories, but you don't really have kind of a rooted sense of, of being on the island. I, I kind of know how that, I yeah. can kind of relate to that. I moved back and forth between Guam and Saipan as a child, and um, when I turned 12, 11 or 12, we moved off island. So I went to, I completed high school in, in Washington State, and so I kind of, not necessarily found myself, but you know, I was influenced highly, because those years, your formative years, yeah. right? I was highly influenced by the, the culture of, the area that I was living in, so to speak. Fortunately, there were some Chamorros around there. We, we didn't like spend all the time together. Mm -hmm. I had a couple of cousins. Uh, very curious, so you brought up the map and you said Eurocentric map. Explain yeah. that. Okay, so uh, the, the politics of geography. I'm not an expert in it. Um, is this like a class in, in university or something? Or is this not like really. A, it's, is um, this like a theory that's been, been discussed? It's definitely, it? yeah, it, it's uh, part of the realm of, uh, of anti-colonial theory. Okay, okay. You know? So there's the idea that uh, you have this atlas, mm -hmm. uh, who created that atlas, who decided that that's where everything belongs, mm. you know, um, who, who did the, uh, you know, the process of cartography, I don't know what that's called. But yeah, so who's drawing these maps? And, um, you know, I think there's, there's actually been diagrams where they show um, uh, a scientific, like an actual uh, comparison of a geographic, like true to life map compared to a uh, Western Atlas. When you say true and to life map, what do you mean? Like a, a satellite picture of the Earth? Yeah, and like the, the actual sizes of uh, certain land masses, right? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, you know, I'm pretty sure one of the things that, you know, you can probably recall in your childhood is uh, the idea that uh, like, you know, North America, the United States mm -hmm. is always uh, superimposed and it sort of takes center stage. And if not America, then, um, than Europe, right? It what? takes center stage on the atlas. Right. Everything else is pushed off to the sides. Well, the way so I understand it is, so it's it's supposed to be a globe, but then when you when you mm -hmm. flatten it out, everything, including Antarctica and and um, um, the North Pole, kind yeah. of get larger than what they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's just the way I always 
figured it to be. Yeah. Which it was explained and, and the, I accepted that. <laughs> I never, that's an interesting, because I've never heard that Eurocentric yeah. map. And so I was curious as to why you brought that up or, mm. or, or, or not why you brought it up, but what the, that the, the meant. The distinction, right? What that yeah. meant, yeah. I, I mean, with that being said, Guam would still be a pin drop on whatever mm -hmm. map, I think, unless you made it a Guam-centric map, then Guam would be yeah. huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like the size of the United States, when we look at a flat map, is nowhere near. It's 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 probably like twice as large mm -hmm. as it should be on an actual geographic scale. Is what you're right. saying, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to digress oh. there. But you you um, uh, were you done? Explaining oh the, yeah, the, you know the what? Eurocentric map. Yeah, dispenser man. I no. I realize that I talk in tangents. That's a lot, fine. That's fine. So do I. And yeah. I tend to, I don't mean to interrupt, so just tell me, like, <laughs> don't interrupt, I'm not done with my point. Feel yeah. free to say that. No, so, yeah, you're asking how I got involved with Independent Guam Hunt. Yeah. So, after all this time, I came back to Guam, um, I decided enough was enough, I wanted to know more about my people, mm -hmm. right? So, I came back, uh, I went to uh, UOG, you know, not right away, um, that, I was, I fucked around for a while, right. you know, just, I was working on, you know, entry-level jobs and all that stuff. I and, mean... You could say fuck around or you were just kind of like... I guess I was growing. You trying to figure out what you wanted to do. In yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I came back to Guam. Um, I went to UOG. Uh, I sat in uh, one of my, um, what are those called? Uh, general education courses, right. uh, sociology. And uh, it was around this time that um, We Are Guahan uh, sparked up because uh, they announced publicly that they were going to take Pocket as a firing range. Okay, so right? this was like back in 2010, 2011? Yeah. yeah. So that happened. And um, uh, our, our guest speakers were uh, a couple of um, present activists. Uh, they're Monyeko de Oro and uh, Eva Ogin. Yes. But um, yeah, so they gave this uh, presentation. This was in, in your sociology Sociology class. class. Okay. And uh, they, they enlightened us on the issues of, uh, of Pocket. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the critical part was they told us what we could do about it. Okay. So uh, I, I signed up. You know, we, we still need uh, like service earning credits and stuff like that. So, but not only did I need these credits, but this was something that I was uh, personally curious about right. and uh, passionate for. And, um, you know, I don't know, uh, high school, I was going through a whole, I had a whole punk rock right. sort of phase and uh, anti-establishment thing. And it just kind of jived to be going against this machine, you know, and, uh, you know, even as, as, a, as a child, I could sort of feel this, uh, this inequity, you know, and I didn't know what that was. And uh, militarization, uh, colonization, those things, uh, when I began to learn about those things, it, it really opened my eyes. So, um, uh, Just a quick question. In, in your sociology class, um, did they ever invite any uh, representatives like from the military or, or anybody to kind of explain what their plans to do or what their plans were and, and mm -hmm. what they were planning on doing? No, I'm pretty sure um, uh, Monyeka and Eva, they were there of their own volition. Okay. Uh, the more I'm learning about activism and, um, you know, uh, coordinating and all, right. the, all those things, uh, it, it occurred to me that uh, the only way that activists can succeed mm -hmm. for these organizations is to be proactive oh, and do what the military isn't doing, which is uh, asking teachers if they can present in classes and inform people about these issues. You know? well, and it's, it's, I guess being devil's advocate, not to say to be fair, but the military... And I don't mean this in a negative way, but they're going to carry out their orders, right? They've got a mission, they're gonna carry it out. Yeah. I don't, it's not necessarily in their custom to say, oh shit, excuse me, can, can we do this? Yeah. They're kind of like, here's your orders. Now with the, with, 
with Pocket, and because I wasn't involved back then, mm. I, I was actually in a time in my life where I was disconnecting from everything. I spent so much time with Malafunction immersed yeah. in the social issues on Guam and, and, and the social political issues that were on Guam. Like, I spent a few years just completely like mm. withdrawn from everything yeah. to the point where I think at some point I was almost disgusted. Like, I just didn't want to watch the news or anything like that. And this was at a critical time. So, the property that the and we're going over the history, but you were directly involved at the time. The property that the military was planning on utilizing in Pagan at that time, was it military zone property or was it, how, how did mm. that work? Pagan, I think Pagan is uh, public land. If not public land, then um, it's owned by There's, a family there's or private, two. There's yeah. private land owners. Yeah. So they were going to be taking over, pub I'm, I'm guessing it's public land, mm -hmm. right? Which would be like government land or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't but, quote me on that. I mean, I, right. I was still a budding activist. I right. still am, you know. Um, right. And see, and, that, and that's the thing. That, that's like, I'm all for people being proactive about their activism, right? I mean, that's part of the beauty of the system that, that is set up, that we're in, is everybody has the right to speak their mind. The most important thing, though, and, and I, I can relate to that, is when I was young, I didn't do any research. I didn't do any studies. So if somebody really asked me questions, like hard questions, detailed questions, I would not have been able to answer them. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, I would have gaslighted them and I would have just started yelling in their face because yeah. I've done it before. I've lost a couple of friends because of that. They're like, you won't even let me fucking speak. Mm. And I'm like, that's because you're not listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I didn't realize that I wasn't listening that they had every right to have their opinion and I was infuriated that they didn't agree with me. Yeah. And, and my advice to activists is like, that's not gonna help your cause. What mm -hmm. helps your cause is to do your research so that you can back up what you say. And it's important. And the reason why I, I, I brought up the fact that, you know, did military speakers come in? That's great that Munyeka and who was it? Ava. And Ava yeah. came in in their own volition because that's how important they felt the issue was and that's how things get done mm -hmm. when people actually take that step because they wanted to talk to the class. They wanted to spread the message. And, and they were able to spread it because they did their research. They told you what's happening. They told you what the outlining issues were. And they told you what you could do about it. Look at how empowering that was. Look at what you guys did. They had to come up with a one Guam approach, right? You know, the, it got all the way up to the highest levels of local government. Yeah. And it got all the way up to the highest levels of, of the military leadership on the island. And that's a beautiful thing. And that was like a mission accomplished, right? Mm -hmm. And then now we have what's going on in the tech zone. We'll talk about that in a little bit if you want to. But I, I'm... Again, I bring it back to look at how effective Muñeca and Ava were they right. did, when they did their research and they were able to answer questions. And so that's like my advice to anybody who wants to protest, whether it's for the Texan or against the Texan. Do your research so you can at least have data and facts to back up why you're so passionate about a particular issue. Because mm -hmm. two people can use the exact same fact to prove their point. You know what I mean? And sometimes you're caught in a crossroads like that. So that perspective, yeah. yeah. But at least they're using empirical data because at the end of the day, you can feel as strongly as you want and you may think that it's morally correct, but morals is, is just like emotions and it's just like feelings. It's so subjective and it's based mm. on the individual's perspective. Right. If you're a sociopath, you don't care. Rape is cool, murder is cool. Mm. But most normal people would be like, no, that's like some of the worst thing <laughs> that you could do, right? right? So again, if you can back your stuff up with empirical data, then it strengthens your argument. Mm. And I, I, I implore people to do that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so independent Guahan, you're, you're, you're a big part of, of the movement, especially with regards to the fact that you're with the media subcommittee. Yeah. Um, you said you've been doing Fanatsu now for a little over a year, about yep. a year. Uh, what is Fanatsu about? What does Fanatsu mean? I'm Chamorro and I'm like, I don't even do, 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 do. 
So fenatsu, um, we all know the word fenogi, which mm. is to rise, but right. that's physically rising. Okay. Fenatsu means, uh, it comes from the, the root word uh, tatsu. Okay, which And is? that means uh, to, to rise, mm -hmm. but ideologically or um, internally, emotionally. If you believe in something, fenatsu, stand up for it, you know? Oh, so like that, that's, what, that's what fenatsu means. Um, in the show, uh, we talk a lot about uh, social issues, um, politics, especially concerning um, decolonization right. and colonization in general. General, right. so right. yeah. And uh, I'm 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 gonna ask I'm gonna be asking Manny some really tough questions when it comes to that because, again, when we talk about being armed with facts, being armed with data, uh, I think it's also important for any side of the argument to listen to the opposing side and as much as you may dislike, I'm not saying you do, because you seem like you're pretty awesome, the things we were mm -hmm. discussing and disagreeing on, but you know, we we're both standing there yeah. taking it, like it's fine. It can either help to change your mind or it can help you strengthen your argument. Yeah. And if you're never faced with the opposing, if you're never faced with an opposing idea or an, an opposing thought, you're always going to think that you're right. And you're mm -hmm. always going to think that your arguments are, are just and your arguments are strong. And, you, you may not know, you may have all the holes in your game that, that you know, have not been exposed, yeah. right? And I, I, it's, I think that's important that we do that, but I would like to take a quick break because I need to find my notes and I don't want to waste that time. <laughs> so we'll stop filming for about five minutes, I'll pull my notes up, and then we can actually get into independent Guahan, and then we can kind of get back into other social issues and topics you want, because I know there's other stuff that you want to talk about. For sure, man, yeah. yeah. And we're having a lot of fun. Thank you guys for tuning in to Expose. Thank you everybody out there listening to Fanatsu Podcast. Uh, we'll be right back in a few minutes. So, uh, segment two of episode nine, De Dissecting Decolonization, part three. A lot of numbers going on here. I'm talking to Manny Cruz, and he is the uh, co-chair of the media subcommittee for Independent Guahan, and he's also the co-host for Fanatsu Podcast. And the, the translation for Fanatsu is, is, is that spiritual uh, um, rising up, rising up yeah. uh, to to stand for something, whatever mm -hmm. that something is, and that's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what a great title for a podcast. Um, I'm Julius Caesar Santos, of course, host of Expose, and Manny's actually been very inspiring as far as the development of our segment here. I definitely want to branch out into podcasts. He's apparently on all Fanatsu is on all podcast all formats. Podcast formats, yeah. Yeah, that's that's so. fantastic. Uh, tell them again where they can find oh, it. Right, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Plug opportunity. So uh, yeah, so Fanatsu is um, uh, primarily a podcast. Uh, if you have Apple, you know, just click that purple I, um, podcasts uh, button and uh, just type in Fanatsu. Um, if you use Android, we're on Stitcher, um, Google Play, um, and if you're if you're at work pretending to um, be busy, then you can always go to uh, soundcloud.com and then search for Fanatsu right there as well. So. Very cool. And Fanatsu yeah. is F-A-N-A-T-S-U-C-H-U, right? Yep. Okay, cool. And you can find them on YouTube, I mean, uh, on Facebook as well, Fanatsu Podcast, and uh, they've got some videos that are up on there. And, you know, uh, one of the videos I caught, you had musical guests, and That's I right, definitely yeah. want to add that element to this show because uh, I want to cover all relevant topics, and in including the arts. Yep. All right? Uh, but the main topic uh, at hand that we wanted to discuss was independent Guahanan. And so I do have, you want to get right into it or you want to kind of like lead into it a little bit more? No, sure. Um, uh, guide my thought, man. If you have a specific question or anything. Um, I definitely help. have I have questions. Shoot. And the questions are not just my own. I, I also reached out to 
<clears throat> different individuals in the community that I know to have different perspectives on Guam and the world in general. And I, you know, I wanted to get a pool of questions. I, I, I sometimes ask that on, my, on the Facebook page, like, hey, if you guys have questions, you can post them up here. If you want to remain anonymous, you can DM me. Yeah. But you know, I think people are still kind of getting used to that idea. Mm -hmm. And I, I take uh, that responsibility of, of maintaining anonymity of people very seriously. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's one way of, of getting the audience to, to trust what it is that we're doing. You know what I mean? Whether, um, whether you're doing a podcast or video live stream, it's a form of journalism in that sense, right? Yeah, we're, we're, sure. we're kind of, we're generating content and information uh, and we have the, the flexibility to do so, I guess, on our terms, right? Mm -hmm. But there's that integrity that we have to maintain if we want, if, especially if I want to invite individuals like yourself to come on the show yeah. and you can trust that I'm not going to uh, try and shut you down or try to ridicule you or, you know, or, or, or uh, try to, and it's going to sound weird, but like try to expose you in a certain way. No, I'm, I, I want to expose the truth about the issue, about the topic. And the only way to do that is through open discourse. Right, right. right? I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to agree with everybody who's on the show. However, it's, I, I think it's important that I allow them the opportunity to speak their truth. Mm -hmm. So with that said, uh, we have questions for the Independent Guahan Task Force. Of course, uh, Guam's plebiscite mission, if you will, or our, our mission to, to have this plebiscite, which has to do with decolonization. And all of this sounds so confusing, but what it comes down to is the people of Guam have the opportunity to cast an unbinding vote for our political future, and there are three options that we have to choose as far as our self-determination. Those are independence, right. free association, and statehood. Um, and so I want to educate the audience as to what these different uh, political status options are about. And so let's get right into it. <clears throat> um, the last time that I, I hung out with independent Guahan uh, crew was at the general meeting at the Chamoa village and we were talking about you were talking you guys your speakers were talking about the development of a constitution and I applaud the independent Guahan movement for being proactive and reaching out to the community and asking the community at large what is your input uh, as far as uh, the content what are what kind of content our mm -hmm. constitution should have so I just wanted to do a follow-up question have they tallied any of those um, you know did they did they pull all the suggestions together and have kind of like a basic framework mm -hmm. since then I know it's only been about a week so yeah you know that's that's a, that's a lot of work to do I guess what's the progress yeah, on yeah. that well not not the data from the last GA because I think that that must have been like last week right yeah yeah it was just so yeah a lot of the problems with um with any uh community organization is always uh manpower you know mm. uh these people we're not getting paid to do these things of course, yeah. um everyone's got to provide for their families so uh but we do have um the way it's organized is we have these uh, subcommittees which i'm part of the, the media subcommittee there's uh, an outreach um an outreach subcommittee that uh, actually looks at this data and um you know they sort of guide our our plans for the next year uh, that being said, we have a, a, an organizational retreat coming up in the next couple of weeks to plan out on um, 2018. Okay. So, but all of that data that goes into, um, that's brought up at, at the General Assemblies, uh, those are definitely pulled in, right. and uh, we actually take those in, into consideration. So, so at, currently, I guess we, it's safe to say that they're, they're pulling all of the data together and they'll be processing it as we yeah, move forward. For sure. Like I said, I didn't expect them to have like a document like, hey, we've got a rough draft. It's, yeah. You know, especially an article like the Constitution <laughs> or a document like a Constitution. Right, yeah. That's um, whew, that's going to be 
it's, it's, it's a task, but it's something that needs to be done regardless of what political status we choose. We will still require a constitution of our mm -hmm. own, you know. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> so with respect to that, um, one of the most common questions that I, that I got uh, from the individuals that I reached out to, and it was also one of the questions that I had, <clears throat> was currently in the vision of independent Guahan, what is the government going to be structured like and what role is it going to play oh man i love that question mm. um but so there, there's two things um is that one we we wouldn't actually know until we begin these conversations with uh industry leaders like uh, economists um you know environmentalists who can uh help draft um environmental legislation things like that so we won't actually know what what a government would look like we can I don't know. Um, and it, that's fine. No, I don't expect you to have all the answers. It's well, just, yeah, I felt it's sure. a valid question to ask. It yeah. is, totally. Uh, what I wanted to say is that, uh, you know, independentistas, that's the, um, the Hispanicized uh, term for independence followers, believers. You know, um, we are so uh, dynamic. Um, there isn't, uh, there's an, there's an, there's a, uh, an activist uh, archetype but the, the reality is we don't fit into any, any single mold. Uh, you can be uh, a socialist uh, independent, independentista, you can be a capitalist independentista, you can be a Republican uh, independentista. There's so many, um, our, it, it's really up to our imagination is what I'm trying to say. Right. You know? So. Um, and it's not to say like it's a pie in the sky, we can pick whatever we want. Yeah. Um, essentially you're saying we can, um, or at least a, what I'm kind of wrapping my head around is you're saying that we can identify the most beneficial aspects of how of, of how a government should function yeah. and essentially try to implement that as we as we mm. build the foundation of what our government would be like as an independent nation. Right. You mentioned something that's really important. Um, you talked about working with uh, industry experts like economists, right? Mm -hmm. um, which kind of lends itself to, to the business leaders on the island, industry leaders, uh, industry experts. And then you talked, you said, you mentioned specifically in, environmental legislation. Yeah. <clears throat> I understand the context of that because there are environmentalists and they want to ensure that certain protections are in place mm -hmm. to preserve either certain uh, um, uh, areas or certain in, uh, species that we can say. There's another word um, for not... Um, it's not like native, but there's a word where it's only found in this, in this endemic? place. Endemic? Endemic. Thank yeah. you. Endemic species, right? Okay. Thank you for that. It's something that I always forget. I always want to say pandemic, but that's <laughs> not the right word. So you talked about environmental legislation. And I'm, I'm curious, and again, I'm not saying that you have answers, but I would like to get your thoughts on this. The, the potential, and what I see is actually... Uh, imminent conflict between environmental legislation and business and economic development for the island. Yeah. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? And, and um, I guess, how do you kind of see that playing out if, if, if there were need to be some kind of like mediation between the two? Mm -hmm. So again, um, I know that there's a disclaimer on, uh, in the captions, but I just want to restate that, sure. uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm here, although I'm here, um, on behalf of Fanatu, um, my, how I envision, um, politics uh, doesn't necessarily represent the views of the actual of the independent one. That's why I yeah. say I'm asking you as an individual, so, how do you see a, a yeah, problem yeah. like that being worked out? That being said, realistically, I would say that, um, you know, responsible development, 
uh, development. It's funny because I use that exact same phrase, responsible yeah. development. Responsible yeah. development. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a, a perfect guahan would look like. Yeah. I know it's one where where uh, the people um, who have roots here, uh, the people who, you know, call this place home, uh, that we have a say in how we want to manage mm -hmm. our land, our oceans, uh, instead of, um, you know, uh, an administration thousands of miles away. Right. You know. I think so, we can we can all agree to that to you know to to a certain degree that yeah. uh, as far as the locals having more control uh, on what directly impacts our island mm -hmm. you know there's I have no qualms with that yeah I have no qualms with that that to me that's a legitimate uh, grievance and so uh, uh, but you can acknowledge that that there would be a real issue that we would have to somehow try and mitigate. And you talked about responsible development. Mm -hmm. And again, that's subjective, right? But the, yeah. the, the word development seems to be a bad word from like Zonia down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to, from Zonia to Marizo, don't bring up the, the word development because then people kind of look at you sideways. Yeah. But there are other ways because when people say development, and we'll just mm -hmm. kind of go off on a tangent here momentarily, but we are talking about the future of Guam and, and from an economic standpoint, from a business standpoint, for, for improvements to be made, there needs to be some kind of development and expansion. But it doesn't mean that we have to tear down the jungles in the south and turn it into another Tumon. Right. right? We can learn from that. Tumon is great. It's a jewel in the Pacific that does attract 1.5 million tourists to the island. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be the only you know, uh, shiny piece that we have here on Guam. Uh, I was talking to a woman, a business owner, Dion Young. She owns a Get a Glow On. She does handmade jewelry and stuff. Her mom's 99 years old, been collecting beads for 50 years. And yeah. she's got this, it's rich history in jewelry making. It's fantastic. However, she, and I believe it's her husband. Uh, I hope I'm not, you know, <laughs> misappropriating who this gentleman is in her life, uh, but the way they were interacting. So anyway, mm -hmm. they refurbished this, this beautiful sailboat and they're like gutting the inside and they want to fix it all up. And I was like, well, what are your plans for that? You're going to like live in the beach or, you know, live in your boat? And she said, no, I was thinking of maybe turning it into like uh, an Airbnb, a bed and breakfast in the sea. Right. And I was like, what a great idea. And I was like, if you think about it, that's something that the South could do as far as accommodating tourists. Mm -hmm. You know, people with their sailboats or whatnot can now create this new, I guess, uh, uh, a special place to say. I mean, you think yeah. about it, especially the higher end tourists, because that's part of GVB's goal for 2020 is not only to get two million tourists, but also to get a higher paying tourist so that the quality of tourists is improved in the sense where they come to Guam, they're spending more money than what they're currently spending now. So yeah. technically speaking, we won't need many more tourists if we can get the tourists that spend more money, mm. right? So that should be appealing to those people who don't want too many tourists on island. And so I was thinking, well, yeah, I th you know, if I was rich and I had money and I want to stay in a place that was beautiful and tropical, but yet I wanted to kind of maintain anonymity, Sleeping, bunking in a boat is like a really good yeah. place to do it in a beautiful, you know, sailboat and a beautiful paradise island. And it's like, oh, I don't like this view. Let's go uh, take the boat and we'll anchor it over here. And yeah. now I've got this other beautiful view. And it's, a, it, it's zero footprint. It's in the ocean, which we have a lot of around here. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Pacific Ocean and, and the Philippine Sea. And I was like, see, that's actually a form of business development. And so she just kind of looked at me like, oh, and I'm like, that's why, you know, and so I said, that's why I always try to use responsible development. I open up with that. So people are a little bit more receptive to it. And then you kind of give them an idea. Yeah. So sorry, I went off on a really long tangent about that. <laughs> okay. So that's as far as what the government will be structured like, mm -hmm. it's difficult to tell. It, the, 
the structure of the government will kind of start to take its form as we build the constitution. Yeah. Is that right? And that only happens with uh, community input uh, right. by uh, being first being curious, mm. then getting involved. Mm. Um, you know, being open to the idea of independence and especially economic independence and uh, helping to shape what mm. that would look like, you know? Mm. So we're talking about the future. Yeah. Um, We'll go a little bit into the past now here. So when we look at the, because you, you studied a little bit about the, just a little bit of the history of, of decolonization. Have yeah. you looked I'm not an it? expert. You know, not, so. Neither am I. Like I said, I, I just kind of like took a cursory glance at it. I just tried to identify certain names, you know, and yeah. like certain uh, points in time. But, you know, has the American government ever acknowledged that they would consider independence as a political status for Guam that you know of? Mm, not that I know of. Okay. Um, I, you know, there should be some position papers on that, though, like as right. far as um, the international community goes, yeah. uh, the United Nations uh, Fourth Committee, um, the Committee on Indigenous, um, or Committee on Decolonization. Right. Um, the U.S. must have taken a stance at some point, you know. Right. Okay. You know? And that's something that we can research and, yeah. and bring to light later on. It's fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, now, with the U.S.'s history, and I think this is something that we can all agree on, the history of not living up to certain treaties or international agreements that they've made, and I think this was an important question, what will we do if they won't financially support us in the event that the island does choose independence? Mm. I mean, what, what so, do you see potential? Well, it, it's really hard to tell at this point. Um, I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not trying to play it safe here and, you know, like dodge the question. That's not what I'm trying to do. Right. But, um, you know, the, the, the pertinent example of this, mm -hmm. of how America sees uh, the international uh, system is uh, Trump's uh, decision to honor Jerusalem or to, to call Jer Jerusalem the capital of Israel, you know, and that was a contentious issue in uh, Middle Eastern politics. Right. You know, so um, there is an international process for decolonization. Uh, they have these things laid out. Um, when one uh, votes for independence, mm. um, well, first of all, so the Commission on Decolonization, they were formed so that we wouldn't have another Algeria, we wouldn't have another Vietnam, uh, so that uh, decolonization wouldn't be such um, a physically violent process. Right. So that's why they have uh, the, these steps in international law. One of those is uh, once a, uh, an entity uh, desires independence, um, you know, there is this uh, bureaucratic um, process that you sort of work through. And uh, one of those is a transitional period where from like up to like 30 years right. in some instances, um, you know, you're, you're hashing out what your, your government, your economy would look like um, with the help of your administrator, your colonizer. So, and it's within that time frame that uh, you sort of, you know, if, if we're going to be lacking uh, this the source of funding because of our independence uh then what can we do to, to sort of replace that you know yeah and i think that's so. that was the question is in that 20-year period technically the u.s can just say ah we're not going to give you money yeah you know and, and so like you said it's a non-binding process yeah. so it's a it's, well i mean we're, right now i think we're going on the premise that yeah it's actively going to take place right so yeah. that i believe okay. that's the premise of that's the, the question is yeah okay. the assumption thank you is that we're gonna we're, we're we're working towards it and now we're in that 20-year phase 30-year phase and mm -hmm. the u.s just says no oh, we're not going to help you guys you, you think you're good enough to be independent figure it out yeah. and I, it's kind of an unfair question to the u.s because we're, we're just putting them in this like 
quote unquote bad guy spot. Yeah. But um, I thought there was some validity to the question. And um, again, I thought you were going to have somebody else. I thought, uh, you know, Professor Mubako was going to be here. I'm not saying anything other than he couldn't make it. And yeah. it was really kind of a last minute thing. And I'm glad yeah. that you could make it. And I'm not expecting you to answer all of these questions thoroughly. This is something that you can also <clears throat> take back you know, to, to the rest of your committees and say, hey, these are some of the questions that the communities have. Yeah. How can we better answer them? And when I bring in the, the representatives from Free Association Statehood, I'm going to throw the same kind of, you know, hard questions at them, too, because mm -hmm. I don't think that they can answer. Well, obviously, statehood, the structure of the government would be pretty obvious, right? But Free yeah. Association, you know, like, what will you ask as far as the terms and agreement in this Free Association? But I'll ask, save yeah. those questions for them. Uh, you did bring up, and I'm not, I should be more on this, but you said Trump called Jerusalem the capital. Is this him saying it, or is this like an actual like declaration that they wrote down in resolution or whatever? Mm. Well, Is it just something that he tweeted again? No, no, no. He actually he held a press conference. Um, okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not entirely keen on the issue, but uh, right. I, was, I was keeping up with it um, today. So, yeah. So, so called a press conference. Press conference. Um, he says he's going to move the, uh, the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, okay. which only uh, four other countries uh, before today uh, had done. Well, yeah. I don't understand what's so wrong with having an embassy in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Well, Jerusalem is... Um, it's a holy city, I understand that. For, not just for, for the for, Jewish For people. Christians and for the Islam. And Islam yeah. yeah. So, um, you have... Uh, well, they're called the West Bank settlements, and yeah. really, so Israel. I'm familiar with the West Bank settlements. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So Israel is basically um, is basically a colony uh, inside Palestine. They're they're colonizing um, Palestine, you know, and uh, yeah, in I mean, in just a number of decades. Um, subjective, yeah. <laughs> is it? It is, but you what know, you know think? I think I'd have to do more research on that. But yeah. I've, I've learned a little bit about the history between. Uh, the Jews that were relocated to Israel <clears throat> and and the Palestinians that were there. Yeah, but um, I don't I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, so yeah. in a sense, the U.S. is colonizing that part of Palestine, which is now what we know to be Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I, that's where I interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah. So. <clears throat> I don't know. We, we, got, we got so off course that I wasn't Well, no, because sure. we were talking oh, about okay. Trump calling uh, yes. Jerusalem the capital, and he's moving the embassy there, and, and that's kind of what we were going off on. Right, right. Yeah, yeah so, um, you know, before, before the U.S., only four other countries had, had done that, okay. had um, said that they, they, um, they acknowledge that Jerusalem is the, the capital of Israel, okay. you know, um, and probably for good reason, because of, uh, you know, the politics in the Middle East and mm. uh, as far as uh, the oppression of, um, of Muslims, you know, Arabic people. I mean, okay. Uh, I, from what I understand, they oppress yeah. themselves. They, they, <laughs> and that's like a completely different like, debate that we could totally have. And I would love to get into that because yeah. it's, it's a pretty hot topic uh, globally, right? But um, the number one killer of Muslims are Muslims. And that to me is, is so right? ironic. But um, dude, like, what about... Um, uh, Western powers destabilizing the region, man, like supporting uh, uh, puppet regimes, um, supporting certain uh, terrorist groups. Uh, mm, like, well, when you say terrorist groups, can can you name some, or at least yeah. one that the that the U.S. has supported? I should know this, but uh, Syria, Syria is one instance where um, the U.S. was backing certain groups that later became, um, you know, what they what they call uh, terrorists. I think the yeah. operative word is was though. They're, uh -huh. They are no longer. I mean. We, we freaking empowered um, uh, Osama bin Laden. That's, you know, everybody yeah. pretty much knows that. We empowered Saddam Hussein. He was helping us out in the 70s, right. you know. Yeah. 
and then all of a sudden we turn on him and that's geopolitics and I don't even want to begin to to try <laughs> and have yeah. an opinion in that because I need to do way more research but I do understand and I do acknowledge that the US played a hand in all of this but for us to completely let you know the OPEC countries and the Middle East off the hook and saying oh it's all the US's mm -hmm. fault I think is is intellectually irresponsible and we need to look into that right like again the number one killer of Muslims statistically speaking is Muslims we can say that the, the Western culture and society has played a role in it I'm not denying that they haven't I'm, or I'm not denying that they have um, but to not acknowledge the issues the very real issues that are taking place in predominantly Muslim countries because again Islam is not just a religion, it's also a form of government because they have the Quran, the uh -huh. Quran, and then there's the Hadith, and the Hadith yeah. was the book that was supposedly, you know, the story of Muhammad and his guidelines on how to live life, mm -hmm. right? And they have the same problems that we have in America, um, and, and then some, like they still have yet to be enlightened on certain issues. They still throw homosexuals off of buildings. They, well, that, again, they, that's not that's not all Muslims. I, I understand yeah, that, but yeah. if if they're if we're talking about Muslim-run countries uh -huh. and Sharia law, they support that. And I'm not saying that every Muslim does that. I'm yeah. saying we're talking about countries and their governments and their influence. And and when a government is 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 an Islamic or a Muslim-run government, mm -hmm. they implement Sharia law. Women are punished for getting raped. And it's, you know, I mean, it's yeah. like these are very factual things and people can criticize the Catholic Church for, for all of the issues that take place there. And like you said, not all Muslims are like that. Yeah. Not all Catholics and not all Christians are like that. So for us to say, oh yeah, we'll look at the Catholics and blah, blah, blah. It's like, so does that excuse Sharia law? I mean, yeah, yeah sure, the, the, the Christian Bible is filled with atrocities and it's filled with violence. But and the people that, themselves... But, yeah, huh? but the, the things that were done in the name of... Of the Christian and the things Bible. that were done in the name of Allah, uh -huh. you know what I mean? Like 9-11, and we can say that was provoked by the U.S., but yeah. again, I don't condone the U.S. killing people unnecessarily. There are certain wars that we do have to fight, partly because the people there are asking for our help. Yeah. And <clears throat> there are other people there who were not helping that can say, well, the U.S. is evil because mm -hmm. they're killing us. But then there's that other group of people saying, well, they're, they're killing you because we're fighting a war that we asked them to help us in. Mm -hmm. and we can't assume that every war that we fight in is because we wanted to do something we wanted like oh capitalism we wanted to take over it's like okay man that's a really huge conspiracy theory and you're, now you're saying that all of these little intricacies are all working together and it's difficult for me to wrap my head around it if you can mm -hmm. believe it and you can structure it together and you can create a valid presentation you might yeah. just change my mind and i might see you know through the veil that you are you are describing however i think that it's so much more complicated than that and I mean, you have people that just want to freaking go to work and take care of their families and not have to deal with any of this stuff. And sometimes they're thrust in the middle of all of this violence and all of this conflict. Right. And so... That's the story of uh, the Chamorro people in World War II. That's very true. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a world of nations. And, and how did that start? It's because the Nazis started rounding up the Jews and killing them. And then they created these allies around the world with like Mussolini in Italy and then and then almost the Russians, but then they realize, no, they want to, for some reason, take over us too. And then the Japanese, all of a sudden, they're halfway around the world, <laughs> and they're in line with the Nazis, and so now they're 
in this battle and then yeah the u.s pulled out before the japanese came they didn't tell anybody maybe there was a few people yeah. that knew but there was no fucking snapchat at the time or whatsapp so yeah. people didn't get the word fucking tragic right and we're talking about the greatest generation we'll never know what what those people had to live through fortunately some of our grandparents made it and they're still alive and they can tell us their stories and it's it's and it's it's still the perspective is mixed all those people some of them will be like we love the u.s they came in and they saved us yeah. and, and other survivors would be like we fucking hate everyone mm -hmm. we were just here trying to live our lives and next thing you know there's bombs yeah. going off and we had to hide in caves just to survive mm -hmm. so again everything like that is subjective we can say it's mm -hmm. the u.s's fault but yeah. there were other people involved and at the end of the day the u.s did come back take it it wasn't on our terms obviously but we still at the very least got a chance to live our lives and again it, it may sound like i'm apologizing for the u.s but i'm not i'm trying to take everything in perspective yeah we didn't have to go through the war right our grandparents did or whatever generation or your great-grandparents did mm -hmm. it's difficult to carry their burden with you on your shoulders for the rest of your life when you have no idea of what they had to go through even if they explained it to you you didn't have to live that fear mm -hmm. and so i think it's very dangerous when we start to assume that we understand what went on um but I, if but if you look at history and you do your research and you come to a particular conclusion, then by all means assert that belief and and present the facts and the information that yeah. I round back to that 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 you know that you feel validate your argument or, right. or your belief. We're going off on tangents, but I love talking to this guy. I love it, man. You're making me work too, and that's great. Yeah. So uh, we talked about um, you know in in the event that we, the assumption that we, we are going independence and, mm -hmm. you know, what if the U.S. say we're not going to, you know, help you economically. Right. It was difficult for you to answer that question. I completely understand that because I probably wouldn't be able to, to, to answer that either. Um, what about the politics of Guam at that point? Yeah. Some people think that we might go through like a political free-for-all. Yeah. You know, how do you see... Again, knowing that your, your opinions and, and your views on this don't reflect yeah. independent Guahan as yeah. a movement, right? This is you as a person who supports independence, and this is you as an individual kind of mapping things out in your own brain yeah. of what the future may look like. So, the, yeah, the political landscape. Mm. I mean, how do you see that? Do you see the Democrats and Republicans still being there, or do you just kind of see all of these different political parties starting to form yeah well i mean my my idea my ideal government if we if we have to have one sure uh would be um one that is beneficial to uh, the most vulnerable people in our community mm. um you know i don't know I, i'm slowly learning you know because i'm getting a, a little more into the political networks here mm. right. um that uh you know, you have to be super careful with, with how you word things and uh, certain trigger words for, for uh, voters. And one of those is uh, tax raises. Yeah, because you you're know. not in politics, so you have the freedom. You have the liberty. Yeah, to yeah, I can, I can say these things. Right? Of course you can, yeah, totally. So. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't stop you, that's for sure. So the, I know the, the neo-libertarian in you is going to say, um, you know, cut taxes for the rich probably. Um, and uh, ta all taxation is theft, things like that. But if, mm. if we're being taxed and we agree where these monies are going to, if they're going to um, better playgrounds, if increased taxes mean better schools, more school books, uh, or free healthcare, mm. then I'm all about that stuff. Right. If we as a community can agree um, uh, 
what we value mm. and where we direct our money to, then, you know, that's the kind of system that I want to be in. Um, I don't know. Some I'm people gonna, might say that's a pie in the sky. <laughs> I'm know, just saying, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just yeah. bringing levity to the conversation. Yeah. But please go ahead, continue. Yeah, if, if I was going to shoot from the hip and I was going to guess, uh, um, you know, the person who asked this question probably wants to know realistically. Yeah. Realistically, as a, a possession of the United States, um, man, I hate, I hate uh, having to say this, but. Um, Realistically, I'm pretty sure they would they would only let us become dependent uh, independent if it uh, you know benefited them as well, mm. and uh, that might be through creating creating another uh, capitalist society, mm. and uh, for them to ensure that they they have a foothold in our economy and that it benefits them as well mm. to to the tune of uh, hundreds of billion dollars maybe who knows right. Um, I, I work in an area of government that that deals with, with uh, the economy and with business. And I mean, our GDP is like a drop in, barely a drop in the bucket when it, in terms of the United States' GDP and, and the country as a whole is definitely not making money off of us as far as industry is concerned. If there's mm -hmm. another way they're doing it or whatever, I think we all agree that, that the, the, our leverage is the fact that we're such a strategic area for the U.S. Yeah. government, That's what right? They like to call us, yeah. Yeah, and and it's true though. It's yeah. true. They're not. Everybody knows it. China knows it. Russia knows it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was a whole freaking battle fought to capture Guam, and it was actually one of the bloodiest theaters in all of World War II. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to belittle Normandy and, and the storming of the beach, but the battles that were fought on Guam. Uh, I know historically speaking, and, and if the History Channel says it, it's true, bro. <laughs> but even we, you know, even in the History Channel, they, they talk about how uh, it's weird. But uh, the Pacific Island and, and uh, Pacific region, Guam in particular, is one of them, and in Alaska, were some of the bloodiest battles fought, despite all the the attention that that Europe gets, right? But that's yeah. kind of like where Ground Zero is of everything, mm. aside from the atomic bomb. Um, and so. You know, in, in, in terms of, of us being a possession, I really want to get into a discussion uh, about that, maybe in a different episode, because <laughs> we could talk for like hours yeah, just, sure. on, just on that premise. So well, I'm going to try and stay a little bit more focused and we'll move forward, because I also have to keep my producer in mind. He's here yeah. and he's, you know, making sure that the show goes well. I'm trying to respect your time, too. We got a late start. It's already almost midnight. Yeah. I don't care. I'm having a good time, man. Again, yeah, thank too. you for being on the show. Uh, Again, you're watching Expose Live on Facebook or, you know, it's going to be recorded so you get to watch it again later. And you're also listening to us on Fanatsu Podcast. Cool. Now, should we choose whatever decision yeah. um, and the U.S. decides to back out and they don't support anything uh, and then all of a sudden we're just kind of like left in limbo. Like the U.S. literally says, okay, you guys really want it? We're gone. Mm. whatever you figure it out we're not even going to be here for anything you are your own place now we don't even want to own you anymore here here's the ownership papers take it yeah and then all of a sudden a country like china wanted to take us over realistically what could we do in mm. in a situation like that well first of all i want to your, say your that, thoughts on that yeah i want to say that um I don't think that would happen, you know, realistically, that they would just pull out. They could have done that shit when uh, Angel Santos was causing a ruckus, jumping fences, yeah, it, uh, I don't demanding really think they care too much about family that. lands. Yeah. yeah. You know, so they, they, they could pull out right now. They can, they can totally do that. Um, right. the, the reality is that we, we have no say. Um, 
Congress dictates everything ultimately that, that happens here. And if they decided they wanted to pull out all their military forces now, they could do that. Right. You know, is it realistic? I don't think so. I don't I, think you can you can I, really co- relocate that many uh, military right. personnel and the contract workers and all their family members. You know, just overnight. It's right. not going to happen. I, I mean, I agree with you realistically. Yeah. That's never going to happen. But let's just go under the assumption because there are people that say. Um, uh, and I've heard it in, in, in certain protests saying, you know, we wouldn't be a target if the military wasn't yeah. here. And if the military wasn't here, we wouldn't be a target in the sense of like people wouldn't want to take us over. Like mm-hmm. we're just we're just an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Nobody would want to come and be the next colonizer, so to speak. Right. Um, I personally disagree with that, mm-hmm. especially if we're I mean, if we're talking like long time ago, maybe, maybe not. Right. Yeah. We were a big deal because Spanish. We, we were a, a property of the Spanish, right? I, I say that with quotation marks and property. Uh, and then the US, again, quotation marks, bought us. Um, but now, with our infrastructure now, we are a legitimate asset, especially if you want to talk in terms of telecommunication. Guam is a major mm-hmm. hub. You know how many, like, I think it's five major lines, uh, five to seven major telecommunication lines from Asia and Australia right. come up to Guam and then from Guam disperse to the rest of the of, of that side of the yeah. world you know and just in terms of that alone you know mm-hmm. and the shipping lanes all of these these borders that were drawn up by people in industry saying this is where we're gonna go these are shipping yeah. lanes blah, blah 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 so all of that currently makes us a huge asset and so when people yeah. say oh we wouldn't be a target I'm like Mm-mm, I think you're wrong and, mm-hmm. and, and that's, again, that, I mean, that's, that's how I say, that's how I present my argument in saying, like, I think yeah. you're wrong. It's because currently now, the way with our infrastructure is set, it may not be the best in the world, but we do have valuable assets, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, according to some people, too, we have uh, precious minerals, like, located under the island, whatever. But yeah. it's just too expensive and too ridiculous to be able to access. Uh, and I'm not too familiar with that. Yeah. So, under the assumption that, yes, <laughs> we would be a target... I mean, what would our options be? Technically, we would have, I don't know if the U.S. might just say, you can keep your, your National Guard base and all yeah. the weapons and stuff that are on there. I mean, wh- where do you see us? And, and mm. you can just be completely candid. You don't have to try and come up with a, you know, we'll pull the magic machete out, yeah. of, the, out of the stone <laughs> or whatever. Like, you know, if it's bleak, then be honest. Say yeah. it's bleak. If, if you can actually see a glimmer of hope, then I would like to hear it. Mm-hmm. And again, well, this is not the be-all, end-all. We're yeah. exploring all of these things. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's all I have, man, is hope. You know, right. um, you know, activists, we're not, um, you know, people like to, to uh, decry uh, emotional uh, testimony, all that stuff, but we're not all, um, well, I mean, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, physicality, right? Um, but we're not driven by this insatiable uh, hatred for, for America or all Western powers. That's not us. Um, a lot of the reason why we do what we do is because we have hope and we believe mm. in our people, right? right? So all I have, man, is hope um, as far as uh, uh, security and uh, economy goes under independence. And one of the things that gives me hope is I don't believe that um, China would uh, try to take us over. Well, just as an example, they yeah. were one, yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't believe they would do that. I think they would try to buy our alliance. Mm. Um, they're not... They're not trying to take over Palau. They're not trying to take over all the other uh, islands in our region. Uh, but, you know, they have a missile called the Guam Killer for a reason, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, North Korea did specifically mention Guam. And why is that? Why didn't he target uh, Palau, you mm-hmm. know? 
so those are those are some of the things that, that give me that give me hope in those instances. Okay. And I think like especially, you know, as far as geopolitics goes, um, I think it's way more lucrative for uh, these uh, imperial powers to buy alliance mm. and to buy complicity. So and we're seeing that in uh, Fiji. I think uh, Fiji uh, was offered, um, you know, millions of bucks, hundreds of million dollars to to host uh, a Chinese military presence and also investments in their communities. Mm. And also, um, you know, I'm actually I'm in the process of uh, looking at uh, uh, doctoral programs, right? And uh, specifically in Australia, New Zealand. And um, one of the things I found out is that they're actively uh, recruiting scholars from the other Pacific Islands to attend universities in China for doctoral programs. So I think. In this day and age, that's how you buy alliance. That's how you buy complicity, you know? And it's not through um, actual uh, military aggression. Cool, sorry, just uh, notes here on some <laughs> questions that I wanted to ask based on, on what you just said. Yeah. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Chinese education. That's just my note for that question. Yeah. Question mark, okay. Uh, so we're gonna go back to the Guam killer um, you know, they have to have that because we're essentially the United States' easternmost uh, military outpost yeah. as far as... Well, on, on U.S. territory. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. On U.S. territory because, of course, there's Japan and there's, there's South Korea. Right. Um, let's just talk about why did North Korea say Guam and not Palau. Specifically, yeah. I believe it's specifically because we are the, the easternmost mm-hmm. U.S foothold if you will and like property right yeah territory we are a part of the united states and i think it's ironic that people would get upset at the u.s for north korea saying i want to bomb you and not get upset at north korea and say why the fuck do you want to bomb us what do we do to you yeah you know what i mean i think that it's it's misguided but people are allowed to to point their frustration in whatever direction they want i just kind of look at it and say no why are you guys so mad at the u.s the only reason why he's not actually doing it is because the u.s is here and if he does it he knows he'd be up shit creek and then of course we're talking about china and russia looking at him like really you're trying to pick the fight we're the superpowers here mm-hmm. and i th- I see him as like a dictator run amok and China and Russia are just kind of looking at him and they're either toying with him and playing with him and using him to create a distraction yeah. or they're completely frustrated with him like, dude, your grandfather did it, your dad did it, you didn't learn anything from them, you're still saying the same shit every year because you know, there's all these like, he has to put on this, this pageantry for only a third of his people. There's 25 million people in yeah. North Korea and two thirds of the country are starving, mm. literally like kids are... Their parents are leaving them because they can't afford to feed them. It's, it's yeah. stupid. So there's that. That's why I think North Korea pointed their guns, gun, if they <laughs> even have one. Yeah. Because, again, they're developing their nuclear system. whoop de frickin do This is what the U.S. and Russia did in the 50s. Yeah. They did it in the 50s, bro. Yeah. And people were like, oh, they're developing nuclear weapons. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm concerned, but I'm not shitting my pants, okay? <laughs> um, China, why isn't China threatening these people i agree with you it's all about the economy now yeah i don't think the war i don't think people want the only person that wants a nuclear war is kim jong-un because that's the only threat that he's got north korea's gdp is two billion dollars ours was 5.7 something's really going on here like mm-hmm. he's funneling all his money and putting it somewhere else or what i don't know because north korea's biggest export is human resources yeah and they don't get paid their people you know you want to talk about 
socialism, I don't know, he's like totalitarianism, he's a yeah. dictator, his people go out and work and they don't get paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they get food rations every day and they get to stay in, in a place and sleep in a room, but the paycheck goes straight to the freaking North Korean government. Mm -hmm. That sucks for them. Um, so yeah, it's all about buying people. Yeah. China's coming in, they're trying to give money to Palau, they're trying to give money here, of course, because again, the US had such a strong economic foothold for the longest time. And then, and then that brings up the argument with some of my friends will say, well, look at China, look at how quickly they're growing. You know, it's, it's in the East. I'm like, yeah, you know why they're growing so quickly? Because they adopted capitalism. Boom, it's like, <laughs> wow. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's the best in the world and it's, it's the be all end all system. But if you want to talk about why their economy is expanding so greatly, one, I was talking to a financial analyst and he was saying they're purposely decreasing the value of their yuan so that their products are more affordable for other nations to come in and buy. So they're, when the nation, other nations mm -hmm. buy from China, they are injecting revenue into China's economy, which is why it is growing and they have the highest per capita billionaires in the world. Right. So people talk about the white man being rich. It's like there are more billionaire Chinese than there are American billionaires, mm -hmm. including the yeah. blacks, right? Because they say like 13 out of 100 and some black people are billionaires. But out of 7 billion people, there are only a couple hundred billionaires and there's at least double digits who are black. The rest are brown because they come from the OPEC countries and then the rest are Asian because they come from Asia. So that's a whole other mm -hmm. conversation that we could have. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you that China is not threatening with weapons and they may try to buy our allegiance. Yeah. But what are we, my question is, what are we gonna have to leverage for them to come in and say, oh, can we buy? And I say the reason why they probably won't come in with violence is because of countries like the U.S. And they're going to say, yeah, you know, we left them to their devices, but we don't want you to fucking come in and bomb anybody because then we'll attack you. Because why are you going to show this aggression? If you offer them money and they take it, so be it. They want it to be an independent nation, right? But then we're going to be indoctrinated into the ways of China. And there's no way around that. We're going to be able to be our own place in that sense. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to be bought essentially by the Chinese, yeah. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad, yeah. but if they're paying us for our allegiance in the sense where they're supporting our economy and trading goods and commerce, now we're going to be, I think we're going to have the same issue all over again. It's like, mm. well, now our culture is being bombarded with the Chinese culture. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, they're not as accommodating as the West, you know? Mm. And that's, a lot, that's one of the big reasons why Chinese want to get their money out of China. One, it increases the value of, of their money, right? Because they're, they're putting it into the Western markets. And two is because really at any point in time, I don't know how much longer this is going to be though, because the more power that the businessmen get in, in China, the less of a stronghold the government is going to have with respect to the fact that technically they could just come in and take people's money mm -hmm. if they wanted to. Because yeah. it's a political party that you cannot fuck with and you are censored by. You know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they may have this capitalist system that allows great products and great industrial growth, but their government is still a regime in the sense where they can take away anything from anyone at any point in time. Our government can do the same thing too, but they definitely can't be blatant about it like the other countries. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not saying the US is perfect in that sense. There are, there are certain conspiracy theories that I may or may not subscribe to, right? Um, good points there. Chinese education, you talked about them offering scholarships yeah. to come to China. That's another, to me, that's another form of indoctrination, but if it's a genuine, good school with respect to economy great but i think if you're going to learn about economy and you're seeing that china is adopting western modes mm -hmm. of economy i.e capitalism then maybe you should just go to a school 
somewhere else in the West. Maybe you want to go to school in Denmark or Switzerland, or maybe you want to go to Chicago, you know, yeah. the, the Friedman, whatever. So I would be cautious to say China is such a great place. <laughs> I've been there. It's beautiful. The people yeah. are wonderful. Uh, the pollution is real. Mm -hmm. It's really real. It's crazy. Um, um, they're very ambitious people, man. And they're, they're opportunistic. And again, that's not necessarily a positive or negative word. They're just opportunistic and, and they see an opportunity and they take advantage yeah. of it. And I think that, I think that's a, that's a, that's a good trait when it comes to people now, however, how they use that. That's, that's another story, right? The morality of how they choose mm -hmm. their, their opportunistic ways. So you laid out a pretty good argument. Uh, and like I said, I can agree with you that I don't think that they're going to come in and bomb us. I think they'd come in and try and buy us, mm -hmm. buy us out. Yeah. But at the very least, at, in that situation, maybe we would have uh, a say. Yeah, you know what I mean? Definitely. Maybe would, we <clears throat> would actually be able to have some serious terms. But yeah. uh, my thing would be we would have to have something to leverage. And if we can identify what that is, then maybe that's an even stronger mm -hmm. selling point. Yeah. Cool. We're, we're almost done here. Um, no, <laughs> no, at least as far as this, yeah. right? And then we can get back into whatever conversation. Mm -hmm. So again, assuming that we are moving towards independence, that's mm -hmm. what the island has chosen. Yeah. But the CNMI still chooses to maintain strong ties with the U.S. Uh -huh. How do you see that affecting our relationship with our mm -hmm. sister islands? Well, first, uh, we have to, um, we have to uh, squash the, the assumption that independence means uh um you know completely casting out america or you right. know their institutions here um uh, independence doesn't necessarily mean isolation it right. just means you know having a seat at the table you know and i didn't even ask that that that's yeah. probably a pretty pertinent question before uh -huh. we before we um well <laughs> I guess this is under the assumption, but you're, yeah. you're actually, you're, you're calling checkmate on me when it comes to that. Cause I should have asked you yeah. and with respect to independence, do you see the military presence still being here or mm -hmm. do you see it being completely removed? Definitely. I think what's uh, the sentiment in the camp so far? I'm not saying that this is mm -hmm. the, the actual agreement, but what, what is the, what is the sentiment you're getting from at least the, the, the task force as a whole? Well, I think we all come to the consensus that, um, you know, America does have a, a, a stake mm -hmm. here. Uh, otherwise, they would have left, you know, they probably wouldn't have come back, you know, World right. War II. Uh, so they have a stake here. They definitely have an interest. Um, and uh, in that regard, I mean, like I, like I mentioned earlier, they, they wouldn't let us become independent, probably, there without having some, some benefit uh, out of it. Benefit yeah. to them. And that might be a continued military presence. Right. Uh, let's, let's face it. Uh, the difference there would be that we can now um, demand uh, rent money, you yeah. know for the lands that they're occupying. Right. So there's that. And because of that, I don't think that that would strain our relations with our, our, our brothers in the other Mariana Islands, to right. be honest. Yeah. So even if we were independent, the, the fact that the, the reality that is embraced by the sentiment you're saying in the task force mm -hmm. is that we're just gonna have to come to a better agreement. That's right. They're, the yeah. military's gonna be here, and that's something that we can continue to leverage, because that's the only reason why or I don't seem to be the only, but one of the biggest reasons why we have off-island investors, and, and I know that some people might say, oh, why do we have to have off-island off investors? And I have an answer for that, but first I'll say that one of the biggest reasons why off-island investors feel safe to invest their money here is because of the U.S.'s presence, and mm -hmm. they understand the way the tax system works and the financial system, so they know their yeah. money isn't just gonna be taken away or whatever, right? Um, off-island investment is extremely important because we don't generate wealth ourselves. and 
the fact of the matter is universally speaking in the world you need money yeah. to to have <clears throat> access to resources so that you can help people and so it's important to have money come from outside to add to the current pool that we had let's just say we only had a hundred bucks <laughs> we have to keep turning that hundred bucks over and over and yeah. over to help you know the people that we have but if somebody wants to come in and say hey uh, let's just say you know can, I'm a rich guy I want to build my house here and I'll give you another hundred bucks okay cool now we have 200 bucks yeah. and that's kind of like the most basic ABC way that I can essentially say why outside investment benefits the island you know mm-hmm. and because um, I know just like the D word development outside investors the D yeah. word can be seen as a bad word and outside investors can almost always be painted with a broad stroke of like that evil guy you know <laughs> twisting his mustache saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, what can I get out of these guys mm-hmm. and you know yes it's stupid to say for somebody to argue in the defense of capitalism or in defense of a business saying, well, no, they're not only thinking about the bottom line. Hell yeah, they're thinking about the bottom line. Right. It's stupid to not say that. But does it mean that they're going to treat their employ- automatically treat their employees like shit? Does it mean that they're only going to pay low wages? No. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody needs to be proven through the market. And if people hate the way you treat them when you go to work there, they're probably going to try and find a job somewhere else. And, you know, in that sense, the, the evil companies are kind of rooted out. And it's such a complex argument to have, and I'm not trying to go there, but all yeah. I'm trying to say is, you know, we need outside investors. If there were people who used to live on Guam that moved to the States and been living there for a long time, made it rich, and now want to come in and invest their money, even yeah. better, right? Because, hey, they're actually tomorrow, and they're bringing in their millions, and they want to invest it now. But the fact of the matter is that the individuals who are investing in Guam right now mm-hmm. generally come from Asia, and they're generally worth if not hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, so they can actually throw you know, capital our way for their investments, yeah. providing jobs for our people, adding to, you know, to the tax revenue that the government of Guam can collect. Um, and again, it's not a perfect system and, and, and everybody needs to do their due diligence to ensure that whatever investments are being uh, developed mm-hmm. can benefit as many people as possible and not yeah. just the individuals who are bringing in the developers you know they shouldn't be the only ones to get quote-unquote rich off of it and I say quote-unquote rich because if somebody's able to get a job maybe they just got a prison yeah and now they're able to get a job as a groundskeeper you know at this golf course that's being developed then good on him because now he has something to help Mm. steer his life in a different direction right so I kind of want to ask you I mean like as someone who um you know uh dabbles in in development and all Mm -hmm. this stuff um you know having embracing um you know, off-island investors, you know, uh, how do we ensure that's a, that's a loose, I, I would use that term loosely. I understand the benefit <laughs> yeah. of, of off-island, mm-hmm. investors. off-island investors. I don't, I, I don't necessarily embrace them. I definitely, uh-huh. I definitely don't bend over Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or bend so, over backwards for that matter. But how do we, how do we ensure through, through legislation or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just policy, mm-hmm. uh, that their their investment their mm-hmm. development um mm-hmm. and their stake here on, on guan mm-hmm. uh benefits us you know that well, they're not cashing out and then taking the money back right well yeah. i mean the, the current system now we have public hearings right and at the, at the public hearings whenever somebody like if they want to develop a hotel or they want to do something big like that we always hold public hearings for that yeah. and it's unfortunate that that they that the you know the word doesn't get out more like the newspaper they do it for free but you know it's always a little blurb when they're mm-hmm. doing it there's they don't make a concerted effort but they're trying to sell real estate in their paper so again it's like how do you blame them for not doing it? so we kind of have to be diligent about that 
Um, but the public hearings are one way so that the public can actually hear what the plans are and provide their input. Yeah. Um, working in, in an area of business development, I can tell you that the, the individuals who are there, uh, whatever, whatever the stereotypes may be, but the individuals that I work with and, and, and the leadership that I see, they're extremely concerned about the benefit that the island is going to get. And they are extremely concerned about the long-term economic effects. They don't want people to come in and just take the money and run. Right. You know, uh, there are certain um, benefits and incentives for, for businesses to come and, and open up. Uh, some of them, I think, are misconstrued. But if you take a very, and I was talking to an economist last night about this, mm -hmm. this exact issue, and, and I gave my perspective and he was like, oh, I have a more nuanced perspective and he broke it down. I was like, wow. So there were areas where he agreed with me. Then there are other areas where he kind of enlightened me on the perspective of others who say maybe we shouldn't have these benefits and these tax incentives for off-island investors. Right. But we did meet in the middle and depending on, on what the, the, the investment incentive is designed to do, um, it may actually serve its purpose, and then when it serves its purpose, you discontinue it so that we're no longer uh, not getting as good a deal as we can. Because mm -hmm. one of the first things that people say is, "Oh, we're giving we're giving money away," and it's like that's misconstruing what the one of the uh, investment incentives is doing. We're not it, it's we're, we're not giving anything away because it's money we didn't have to begin with. Mm -hmm. What it's really saying is that we're not getting as good a deal as we could have gotten because we're giving a certain incentive. But if it's a timing issue and we want somebody to invest sooner than later, then we kind of need to give them that little push to say invest now. Yeah. But if we're not worried about the investment, then we don't have to offer them an incentive. And so I guess what this economist was saying was that we need to be able to treat it like a valve and not just like something that's written in stone. I see. Turn it on when we need it, turn it off when we don't. Yeah. And leverage it like that and tell investors you should have come and you should have taken advantage because now this is the market mm. and we're dictating and now you got to pay full price because uh, not only is this what the island wants, but our economy is strong enough without you. And right. so if you really want to get into this game, you're going to have to pay the but full price. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's, not, it's not so black and white the way people want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And people aren't evil because of certain, you know, uh, programs that may be in place. And you use the term responsible development earlier, and I love to use that because it's, it's a very real term. Yeah. Because, let's face it, there have been in the past very irresponsible developments, and, and not all of them were necessarily had bad intentions. Mm. They were just done, planned poorly, so yeah. to speak. Like parking is a huge issue in Guam. It freaking sucks. But there are certain companies when they, when they were designing their buildings and their parking lots, you know, they actually knew what they were doing and they figured it out. So. I don't know about you, but I'm a family man now, so when I go to certain areas, it's like, oh, freaking parking sucks here, I hate coming here. Yeah. I'm willing to park far away just because I don't want to park in your parking lot because it's stupid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a third grader came in and designed it, you know <laughs> what I mean? I'm not saying I could do any better, but just the fact that everything is concrete, you know, it's difficult for people to build up because right. it's just so expensive. And it's just, it's crazy. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, it's gnarly. I'm going off on a tangent here, <laughs> no, but you were asking me about development. And so, like, again, I have this, you know, I think about the South and I think about ways that the South can develop without turning into a concrete jungle. Mm -hmm. But I think that, uh, and I'm, I don't want to insult anybody, so I'm not going to use terms like short-sighted. I think that a better way to look at it is I understand that, that they've seen the negative impacts that can take place with development. Yeah. Um, 
however, I, 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 I implore them to keep their minds open to, to new and innovative ways to develop that is friendlier to not only the environment, but also to the cultural expectations. Mm. You know what I mean? Because there's always a compromise. There's always a trade-off. There's never a true solution. Like there's no real true solution. In any solution that you have, you're, you're trading something for something else because you think this is more beneficial. This has more benefits than, than this, yeah. right? Um, and people are going to say, oh, you're just breaking it down like a business <laughs> analysis. But it's kind of true, right? When, you're, when you want to build a school in your community, somebody's property is going to have to get cleared and the foundation's going to have to get laid. Somebody's yeah. going to have to live next to the school. You mm -hmm. know, somebody, whatever, whatever. So everybody makes this compromise because they believe that a new school is going to benefit the community as a whole. Yeah. Right? So same thing with development. People are going to have to compromise so that there can be this nice organically built plaza somewhere in the south where people can small business owners can open their shops and and so now the, these individuals living in the south don't have to traverse the agate hills to go and and buy an outfit for work or whatever <laughs> whatever right because now they have this this store they can go but it doesn't have to be this big gigantic ugly cement building you know like yeah. i got inspiration from this is gonna sound stupid but lord of the rings when they go and visit the elves in the mountain for the first right, time you're like yeah. where are they living oh, like, oh my god they built it into the mountains and look at how <laughs> awesome it is but the way they designed it and you know it's yeah there's attention to detail attention to the topography and geography of the land mm -hmm. and they complemented it it's like yeah. that's the kind of development i'm thinking about not like elves in the mountain mm -hmm. but design the building so that it enhances the environment versus, you know, yeah. here's a square piece of cement, do something with it. Right. That's ugly, I agree with that, yeah, yeah. you know? But when you do developments like that, one positive side effect is that the infrastructure around it has to be improved so the people living around it actually get that improvement through mm -hmm. probably better access to, to power and you know, like utilities. Yeah. Maybe it's gonna improve the road because the developer wants people driving into their business or their complex yeah. to have a nice smooth road. Mm -hmm. And th these are things that the community can drive. Pago Bay, for example, you know, it was a good idea gone bad. And part of the mistake they made is reaching out to the community, which I don't think they did a very good job of, right? Mm. And I, I think that's kind of obvious at this point. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is it's their property and they can develop what they want on it so long as they're yeah. within the parameters of the law. So with respect to the protesters saying it's gonna be an eyesore, it's gonna be this, I get what they're saying. However, if you look at it in terms of the court of law, I don't really think they're, they're proposing true valid arguments as to why the, the, the um, development shouldn't be built. Mm. That's just me looking at it. It still needs to go through the process and, yeah. and whatever is decided is decided and, I, and I'll accept it, right? Yeah. But again, I don't think they did a good enough of a job reaching out to the community. They could have said, look, everybody living here in Zotnia and, and these areas, you'll have first dibs on getting jobs here provided you qualify your kids are they graduating you know college or high school do they yeah. want to get a job boom first in line this is how we're going to improve the infrastructure of the area you know your concerns about congestion with traffic this is our plan you know yeah. like, to my knowledge i don't think that was done i'm not saying mm -hmm. they didn't do it but to my knowledge i, I didn't hear anything like that taking place yeah. and i think that would have been a lot more helpful in translating or relaying what their vision for pago bay for the pago bay development was right. and, and so that, because again, yeah, so there's a group of people that aren't going to like what's being done with the land, but it, unfortunately it was sold 
to these individuals who now want to develop it yeah. to create this. But what you see as destruction could be the creation of jobs for you and your family or some kind of improvement. Like I, from what I understand, they were going to build a little fisherman's wharf there yeah. so that the guys with the boats can come and launch. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like things like that. They have the money to do it. Government doesn't have money to do that. Yeah. And to expect yeah. the government to do things like that all the time, it's difficult. The yeah. only way for government to do that, ironically, is if we have an injection of outside revenue coming in mm-hmm. so that the government can tax that revenue and now have more money to provide yeah. services or to fix roads or things like that. Man, it's uh-huh. so it's so complicated, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Like even fixing the roads. Highway, we get federal grants for the highway and it stipulates to the T how you're supposed to spend the money to repave this road. And you're like, oh, can you, you may as well, since you're here, can you do this and that? It's like, we can't yeah. because of the, the freaking funding says we can't use it for anything other than, other than A. And yeah. if we use a little bit to spend on B, we'll, one, we'll never get A again. And two, we, we may get sent to jail. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so that's like, you know, it's a crux. And if more people so, understood that, I think they'd be a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah. Just a little bit more sympathetic to the way government works. And then sure. they'll also see how inefficient government can be yeah. and how efficient actually the private sector can be. Mm-hmm. And so... <sighs> Man, it's, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to have all the answers because that's right. just going to be too crazy of a job. Yeah. I, I love looking at it, though, and I love talking to individuals like yourself to try and explore different ways that we can address these problems. One of the things that, um, you know, as you, were, as you were talking, it just occurred to me, uh, my experiences in, uh, of course, you know, um, Independent Guahan, we yeah. recently sent uh, 15 delegates uh, including yes, myself to the UN to the UN yeah um, you were a petitioner too I wasn't a petitioner I was there, uh, for there media. The, okay cool yeah with the group um, and one of the one of the biggest topics um, the biggest social um, and um, environmental issues going on right now in New York is mm. of course gentrification so when you're talking about um, uh, investment and development of mm. an area um, and particularly the south because uh, Southern Guahan has uh, a special place in, in all of our hearts, I'm sure. Yeah. You know? um, so one of the things that concerns me is um, you have these people investing in these areas. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, they have to improve the area around it. Yeah. Um, you know, that also drives up the cost of living. And will those people who, uh, who lived there previously, uh, who maybe were bought out, would people in those same uh, socioeconomic brackets be able to live there again? Or would they be able to thrive, or would they have to leave completely and uh, move into an apartment somewhere in Tumani mm-hmm. or Haganya, you know, if they can afford that? Well, so uh, okay. So, are you talking about the people who may have potentially sold their property to the yeah. developers? So right now, right now, um, uh, a place in in Agate mm-hmm. is probably more affordable than uh, trying to find a, a home in uh, Upper Tumon. Oh yeah, know? I mean that's re- yeah. real estate rules, right? As far yeah. as yeah. So I mean, uh, like what's what's going on in New York is uh, Bushwick in Brooklyn. Um, I have a, a, a Puerto Rican activist friend uh, okay. who who lives there, and um, uh, because of um, outside investment into his community, because of people buying buying up buildings, buying up space, right. and uh, people wanting to move into this uh, once um, you know uh, hard knock uh, neighborhood, you know. Right. Uh, those same people, blacks, uh, Latinos, um, uh, and even the lower lower socioeconomic whites, uh, can no longer afford to live in those places. Understood. Okay, you know? I see and what you're saying. Forced into the PJs, the projects. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That man, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. And so, man, uh, I, I can speak to it in terms of Guam, and this is again where when we have these public hearings, it's important for the members in the community and Pago Bay is a great example of that because the community was aware of it and they came in and, and 
it's large in part because of their protests that you know this this thing is taking so long to solve and I'm, I'm glad that I'm not involved in it <laughs> mm. but if yeah. oh, let's let's just use agate as an example and let's just say something like that were to happen and these in this development were to come in I find it interesting that you know you in what you're saying you are admitting that it's improving the quality of life it's improving what was once a hard knock era. and, and again I'm, people, I'm not yeah. trying to throw anything in your face I'm just yeah. like breaking it down because it's a, it's a very factual observation. They're turning what was once a, let's just say, not so good part of the town into now a desirable place to live, mm. um, which has the unfortunate consequence of now these individuals who used to live there can no longer afford to live there because like you said, the cost of living has gone up because now yeah. it's desirable rules of real estate, right? Supply and demand, more people want to live there. So that drives the prices up. And so now they have to move out into a different area and go live essentially in the projects. Yeah. So if something like that were to even begin to take place on Guam, I, from what I've seen and in my experience, our political leaders and uh, the bureaucracy is actually really concerned about that. They don't want to see something like that happen. Yeah. Guam is way too small for something like that to happen and for there not to be serious ramifications. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the most shallow political terms, I think we can have faith that our, our leaders won't do that because they want to continue to get the vote in the South. Right. The South's vote is extremely powerful. And for them to act against that will would be a foolish mistake. Um, and, and I like to believe in the overall uh, genuine desire for whatever change to happen to the island to, to be the benefit for everyone. Like right. I said, we kind of come from fundamentally different uh, <laughs> foundations, politically speaking, yeah. but yet we, we both want the same thing for our That's island, right? Yeah. right? Um, so with, with respect to Agate, yeah, it, that's where the community would definitely need to be involved, ask the company what's going to happen, and to be empowered with questions like that, because that's a question that I wouldn't have even thought to ask. So now I would come in to say, or I would even go to whatever government agency is dealing with, with said development and say, well, how is this going to affect the individuals living there now? From what we understand, you know, the cost of living will go yeah. up because of the improvements that are going to be made. How can we, um, and let's just say they were willing to entertain the development, how can we avoid something like that happening in the long run? Mm -hmm. So again, like one of the examples I gave was now the community saying, you want to build this in our community? Now you can leverage, the community can leverage its power and say, well, for those of us who meet qualifications, we want jobs. Because from what we understand, cost of living is going to go up. Yeah. And we may not be able to continue to afford living here. And if you're going to be impacting the community and you're going to be benefiting from it, then we need to ensure that we're going to benefit from this transaction as well. We're both going to have a trade-off in that benefit, right, in, in seeking that benefit. However, at, I want to be able to live in this. I, I grew up here. I want to be able to die here. Right. Essentially, is kind of like what you're talking about, right? When you talk about gentrification now, it's like we're moving all of these people out and moving a whole new, new set of people in. Yeah. So that's the irony. It's like now our place is becoming so nice that other people want to come here and enjoy it. Um, but yeah. we want to make sure that the people who lived there originally don't get driven out. That's right. Uh, but it's a two-way street, right? So um, you can't get too complacent no matter where you are mm. because you can't expect things to stay the same. Um, Saipan is a great example. When I used to live oh, there, I yeah. lived in San Roque, 
it was such a quiet little village, you know, and it was literally one road that went in this loop that went up the hill and down the hill. San Roque was a little bit bigger than that, but that was kind of like the centralized part of the village. And when I go back, I can barely recognize it because mm -hmm. there have been develops that come up. Yeah. I didn't get pissed off. I was just like, oh, wow, this is so crazy because as the population grew, you know, you need, you need to develop places to put all these people and not, yeah. and especially because of the, you know, if they had all of the, um, the factory workers there with the free trade zones and, and so even more developments and a lot of local families benefited from that. The Saipanese government was getting $1 billion annually because of that. Yeah. And what they did with the money, I don't know, but they, they did some really major improvements, really mm. good major improvements to the island. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm digressing. So to bring <laughs> it back to Guam, um, I, I, I have faith that the island wouldn't allow something like that to happen mm. without seriously looking into it. And this is, and hopefully people out there listening to this can like write that down in their notes, especially if you're living in the South. Like if there's gonna be a development, yeah. we need to ask these questions in particular. For sure. Cost of living, we're assuming is gonna go up because there's gonna be improvements made to the infrastructure and to the surrounding area. How can we protect ourselves uh, from being booted out of where we, where we live, where we grow up? If they're selling the property and then they end up squandering you know, the money that they got, that's on them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If they didn't want to make a deal like some other smart families where, yeah, you can develop on here, but you're going to build me a nice suite and this is how much you're going to pay me in rent, you know, there, there yeah. are some people who did that in Tumon with, with their properties. They wrote themselves nice deals and the developer was like, yeah, because the developer was going to make way more than that. Right, and that's right. how some of these individuals who started out with practically nothing are now multimillionaires because mm. they were smart about how they handled their investments. And don't sell yourself too short. No, um, never I, do I had that. heard that... Um, now, if you know more about this issue, then please correct me, but I had heard that um, the, the new casino in Saipan, um, I had heard that the, the agreement with the government, with the investors, was that uh, they would pay uh, the CNMI something to the tune of like $90 million a year. Annually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the projection is that uh, the casino is actually going to be making, you know, way more money than that. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of smart people in the yeah. CNMI, don't get me wrong. They, you know, they, they may speak with heavy accents and whatnot, but man, there's some intelligent motherfuckers up there. Yeah. It's crazy how smart they are. Uh, but, you know, money can, can buy a lot of things, including dumb decisions. I'm not saying that's what they did, yeah. but of course the casino is going to, if the casino is offering you $90 million, you show yeah. okay, so they're probably going to be making $900 million. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they're making a lot if they're offering right. you a lot. Um, but, you know, maybe they should have looked at what their current, uh, deficit is and, and what their annual spend in as yeah. spend is as a government and is 90 million which is a lot of money mm -hmm. but is that actually a reasonable amount of money how many years are we talking about yeah. is this in perpetuity or is this for like 10 years 20 years and yeah like I said how beneficial is this 90 million going to actually be what are we going to spend it on you know what I mean? That, right. and that's where the community needs to be like yeah what are you guys going to spend it on <laughs> it says 90 million but and the general fund, we, we only registered 60. What happened to the other yeah. 30? You know what I mean? Yep. Some of you were like shoving stuff in your pockets. <laughs> you know, I like, I, you know, I, it's when you're talking big bucks like that and certain people are, you know, making the deals at the table. I'm not accusing anybody of, of being corrupt or anything. Yeah. But that's when the public needs to assert their voices and get extremely curious. And this is where journalists journalists need to be tough and like you mentioned earlier it's difficult on a small island mm -hmm. with very uh you know limited number of, of media outlets that 
are in the game, so to speak, and they yeah. have their own agenda. I'm not saying they're in cahoots, I'm just saying they're in the game because they're, they're powerful, right? They control media in that sense. Mm -hmm. So it's great that we, we can do shows like this and talk about these issues. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure uh, how the deal was set up. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, you see all the, the issues that are now coming up with the Chinese. We saw, we saw all the, the, the H2 workers that they had there that weren't getting paid That's and right. their passports were in safes and stuff. And I like to think that that kind of stuff doesn't happen here with the H2s that we had. We, we never in all the years that I can remember had a case like that occur. And it embarrasses me that that would happen in Saipan. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying the Saipanese did it. A lot of those companies were Chinese contractors right. that were bringing out other workers, right? Yeah. So we kind of see the, the level of scruples or lack thereof when, when it comes to certain industries or certain, uh, not groups of people, but uh, business groups, right? We, we should take note of the companies that are caught in these yeah. scandals, right? And so that moving down the line, you say, hey, we want to work with you. I'm like, mm, I don't know, you have an interesting track record. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to vet you first and show us your plans and everything, right? We're going to have our lawyers screen the crap out of it or we're just not going to entertain it. Mm. And it's unfortunate you know, when something like that happens because they are going to make a lot of money, but they're also, Saipan is also benefiting in other ways, all the Chinese tourists. So maybe that's what they were looking at. The casino is going to give them this much money because that's how many Chinese tourists are going to get. And so now Saipan is like, okay, well now how much money can we get out of the tourists? Because the casino is going to get a lot of their money, but now our local economy can get some of the money coming from all these Chinese tourists. They yeah. did a, they did a, a reality show there. It was called The Running Man, which originally started in Korea. Uh -huh. And China... Um, whoever owns a casino, I, f I forget the name, because I, I, I was following this. I was genuinely curious as to what was going on. They are huge, right? And so they paid the they paid to have like an I don't know if it was an entire season or what of this this reality show on Saipan. Mm -hmm. and you know what the viewership of the show was? How much? How many? Four hundred million people. Yeah. Because don't forget, there's like almost two billion people in China. Mm -hmm. 400 that's more than the population of the United States of America yeah. watching this one show and and the stars are in Saipan and not only that so not only are they seeing Saipan when they watch the show but the stars are like you know their social media taking their selfies whatever it is right. you know, the Chinese Facebook yeah I don't know what it's called <laughs> but uh, you know and so Saipan is getting all of this advertising and I don't think the Chinese need a U.S. visa to go to Saipan. Don't don't, don't quote me so, on that. Yeah. yeah, right. See, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. But even if they did, there are about 10 million. The last time I checked the numbers, there are about 10 million Chinese with U.S. visas. So even if Guam could get one percent of that 10 million, that's yeah. um, uh, what? That's 500,000, right? Do I have my math right? <laughs> oh my God! Because one percent of 100 million would be one million. So forget it. But you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. <laughs> if we can just get. One percent of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna bust out the calculator now. <laughs> People are gonna be like, "You idiot! You don't even know what ten percent of one million is." Yeah. You're off to a better start than I am. There it is, and that's one million uh, times point. Uh, what is it? Zero one. It's ten thousand. Okay, we could use more than that. Sorry, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, no, it's 10 million. I would put 1 million. Sorry. Mm. So that would be 100,000. Yeah, that's right. Perfect. Cool. Ah, if you're out there and you know it, write it in the comments, okay? <laughs> I didn't say I was a math expert. And economy, e economics is, is a very difficult um, 
subject to wrap your head around. Mm, for sure. Man, so we're talking about Saipan. We're talking about the, the kind of the, the deal that they have. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that, uh, and you bring this up with independence, but Saipan had a certain level of control over their borders, which was recently taken away, mm -hmm. from what I understand, or yeah. at least uh, some restrictions were added. Right. Yeah. But, you know, they, they have to be responsible with the development that's taking place in Saipan right now. And that casino is gargantuan. Have you been there yet to Saipan? No, not yet. Yeah, I, have, I saw the construction. Holy crap. It was huge. Yeah. Huge. Like, and I was just looking at the first phase of, of the building. So I'd love to go back there. Maybe we should go back and do a show from there. Oh, nice. <laughs> Anybody want to sponsor that trip? Hey, the producer included. He's got to come with us, right? <laughs> But man, we've had a really long conversation. Yeah, I, I, it's already twelve thirty-eight, going on uh, one a.m. Um, we got to continue the discussion. We'll For talk sure, about yeah. other stuff. There's other stuff that I would love to like shoot with you back and forth and get yeah. your take on it. And I think this would be a great ongoing thing to have Fanatsu simulcasting with Expose, and you know, Definitely. so that our listeners, our, both our audiences, can can benefit from these conversations yeah. if there's a benefit to it. No, I just want to say, like, uh, I'm really, I'm, um, I'm impressed that you showed up to the GA, man, and I respect that. Oh, man, I, yeah. I, I respect what you guys are doing. So. Whatever people may think of me or, or whatever, it's yeah. like, I want to give a voice to everybody in this game in, or, or, you know, in this, this run right now for the plebiscite and mm -hmm. the colonization. And the community is just going to benefit from it because they're going to learn more the more they hear about independence and free association and statehood. Right. Because it needs, it's so important that they make an informed decision. And again, I, I applaud you for, I applaud Independent Guahan for, for being proactive, reaching out to community and asking them for input mm -hmm. so that you guys can, can start to construct a constitution. Yeah. You know? So you guys are being proactive and you're, being, you're ahead of the game in that respect. Is there anything else that you wanted to tell our audience? Uh, well, uh, major thing, uh, no matter what side of the political spectrum you mm -hmm. are, um, we all, you know, part, part of our, our heritage, part of our ancestry as, uh, as Pacific Island peoples, as Chamorros, is uh, this respect for our elders, right? Mm. And, oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and uh, we, we owe something to our elders, mm. you know, and as well as to our future generations. And uh, one of them is uh, continuing to fight for um, what, they, what they've deserved for, for many decades, mm. and that's uh, just compensation for uh, the atrocities they suffered mm. during World War II. I mean, you know, uh, the three of us in this room, um, I'm pretty sure we have uh, Chamorro, um, you know, forebearers. Oh, right? guaranteed, yeah. My grandmother gave birth during the marches and yeah. she lost that baby. So yeah, I did. So that's just one of the, the many horrible stories that came yeah. from the, the Japanese occupation. Definitely. Yeah. So one of, the, one of the things that we're doing is, um, you know, independent Guahan is not some like radical uh, I don't left think you guys are radical. Yeah, there, there's people out there in the comments section who are like, oh, those guys, crazy kids. Yeah, I think it was just but, trolling. Yeah, but, you know, one of the things that we're doing is tomorrow, actually, or today, today at, um, I think, from 10 to 5 p.m., um, the Azudo Imanyaneta event, uh, we're actually going to be helping Manamku uh, fill out their war reparations forms. Cool. So even though, um, you know, we can test the sources of, of the money that mm. it's coming from, uh, we, can, we can work to get them a little... A little compensation uh, at the same time uh, continuing the fight for, for just compensation. Educate me, where, where's, what is the source of funding? So um, the, the money for war operations comes from Section 30 funds, which mm. are monies collected from... I think that's what I heard, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't agree with that either. It should come from mm -hmm. the Japanese coffers. Definitely, or, yeah. or the U.S. I mean, either way, we, we, were, uh, we had really no, no say in, in the war that took place here. Yeah. Uh, we were just caught in the strife, you know. But um, 
you know, essentially what's going, what's happening right now is uh, we're paying it with ourselves. You know, it's the money that's allocated for us, and we're yeah. paying it out. And so and it's money that we I, already I, get anyway. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. It's so, you know, it's you know, how do we how do we how do we get the Japanese to even acknowledge it though? Because they yeah. won't. You know, well, the the issue is that uh, the U.S. actually pardoned them from paying uh, war reparations to, you know. Oh, that's the history of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's terrible. So, so then I guess the U.S. does have to pay for it. For sure, because <laughs> they said, "Don't worry, Japan, we got you." Yeah. So in any uh, case, yeah, um, funny. this is just one of the things that we can do to, to help our manana. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, um, our, our greatest generation. Yeah. So uh, if you if you have a, a loved one um, who suffered uh, during World War II, bring them down ten to five. Uh, we'll Where? have uh, volunteers. Um, UOG, uh, the Humanities Building. Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll go through the whole process there, and uh, we have uh, music. Um, we'll also be uh, taking oral histories. So if if you have uh, a manamku in your family who you know. You've heard their story, but you want it documented. Right. Um, we'll we'll do that. Cool. You know, and so. this is going to be uh, with the independent Guahan. Oh no, with independent Guahan. Okay, okay. Uh, food sponsored by Picas. So, oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah. Thank you very much, Lenny and Pika. <laughs> right. Love it. Uh, and I'm sorry, the name of the event again. Azuda i Manyanata. Yes. Help okay. our our Manyana. Yep. Yeah. I love that. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Um, Follow us on Fanatsu. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg with uh, some of the things that we discuss. And yeah. like you said, uh, I hope we continue the discussion. Oh, guaranteed. So, we have nothing but yeah. time to talk about it. So for sure, uh, he and I have we had great conversations before we even got on here, and, and a lot of that stuff we'd actually I'd love to share that. You know, I still love to uh, pick your political mind, if if you will. On, yeah. But again, we, I want to separate that from the independent Guam conversation because, like you said, the views and the ideas right, yeah. that, that we are talking about now. It's, they don't represent any organization that we used to be affiliated with or yeah. currently affiliated with or maybe affiliated with in the future. They are strictly our views, our ideas that we're just kind of knocking off each other's heads right now. And uh, we want to thank you, the audience out there for Expose. We want to thank you, the audience who are listening to Fanatsu Podcast, for allowing us the time uh, and, and, and for hearing us out. And... Uh, I guess that's it for episode nine. I want to thank Manny Cruz for coming in again. I really appreciate it. I love the fact that, that, you know, there are a lot of things that we disagree on, but we can sit here and we can talk about it. Even if it was a spirited discussion, the fact that we were completely calm, that's, that's (laughs) icing on the cake. But I mean, there's such a thing as a spirited discussion, but still respecting each other's Mm -hmm. time to, to speak and to allow each other to finish ideas and and to finish a sentence for that matter. Mm. Uh, So again, I'm Julius Cesar Sanchez, your host for Expose. I want to thank my guest, Manny Cruz, who is the co-chair of the media subcommittee for Independent Guahan, and he is also the co-host for Fanatsu Podcast. We'll catch you guys on episode 10, which will be happening on Monday, December 11th. We're going to be talking to Professor Ron McNinch and his proposal for the Guam Residency Commission. We'll see you guys then. Good night or good morning. Independent Guahan. Para ba ina fanmatak nga yaman tomorrow? Para tatuli tati di retsota komo unnashon gihilutano. Gini minek gut niha i manyanata, jani gwinai zata nui famagu omta motna. Ina kekefan manungo, jana kekefanet don todu i tautausiha, ni manyasaga gi ininatanu. Paratanat letfet na izawahan, ni todu i ninasenyata. Kosiki senyata fan latla maulik motna. Fanatsu, hita lat mono.